Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. Today on the show, I've got Tom Peavy and Brant Daughtry with me. As we go through all the topics in the sports world, we'll have a wacky Wednesday coming up in the 5 o'clock hour that Tom has put together. Not quite the uh, the bad-tasting things uh, <laughs> that can have occurred uh, kind of last week, but we'll get back into uh, some some strange but true facts uh, that uh, that Tom has put together today. So we'll have that coming up for Wacky Wednesday in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll also have other topics in the sports world, continue to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball as it continues through uh, the, the summer season. Also maybe talk a little bit uh, of Auburn football, maybe a little bit about recruiting. Uh, no new commits in the last few days. We'll kind of update you on where things stand. There's been a big riser in the SEC in recruiting here the last few days. We'll tell you who that is and how high they have gone. So we'll have uh, several different things to get into here today. Again, a Wacky Wednesday coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Of course, all your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free one 9 Tiger 9 again. Ryan, Tom, and Brant with you here today. Same crew as from Monday. Fellas, start with you. Brant, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Uh, Having a good day and and kind of just been watching the College World Series. They're continuing to go. Whittled it down to, what, uh, four teams left? Five or something like that? So uh, we're we're getting towards the end of that run. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the show today. Got a lot to talk about. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good day. And then Tom PV also on the show. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Looking forward to a wacky Wednesday. And yeah, you said a nasty tasting. Some of those weren't bad. Some of them were very bad, though. Some were very, <laughs> some were very bad. Some were not very bad. I think I like made two JJ, of the eleven. We made Brant gag. We made JJ scream a couple so of times. True. That's true. There's no doubting it was a great, oh, great yeah. event. I'm just saying. Really there's also content. no doubting a lot of it was not good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not not tasting good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ranch dressing soda was. Not very good. Yeah, that was or, or the sweet corn. That was pretty bad. Mm. But uh, but yeah, man, I'm 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 ready to get going. It's uh, another good week of sports. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff to talk about. Absolutely. So we begin today again. Uh, not a whole lot of news from the Auburn sphere of things. As yesterday, we did have some college baseball news in that we had the the updates to Plainsman Park revealed. Uh, kind of showed the renderings through a a minute-and-a-half video that uh, looked pretty good. We talked a little bit about that on the show. Uh, Today, although there is no new commits, I do want to to start at least with a segment on an update on kind of recruiting as a whole uh, in uh, in not only Auburn with the SEC and and also just because uh, there's a team that has rocketed up boards the last couple of days in a big way. 
And I want a couple questions kind of revolving around that. So when we were looking at the rankings last week when Auburn had secured a couple of commitments for the 2024 class that put them into 15th, uh, not an incredible position, but also a pretty solid position. Again, early in the process, we're talking about eight kids and we're talking about uh, some teams that are purely ahead of Auburn just because they have more commits, not because they're a, a higher quality. So a fair position to be in at this part of the process. We were talking about the other SEC teams ahead of Auburn, which there are several because life in the SEC uh, means a, a buku amount of recruiting. And one of those teams that was ahead of Auburn, but just barely, was Florida. They were 11th last week. They have skyrocketed to second uh, in the recruiting rankings after a slew of recruits and now have 11 four-stars, five three-stars. And when I think of how these teams are recruiting, and look, Florida is definitely a, a, a high-level program, a lot of resources, decent amount of history, more recent history, not like the 1950s kind of history, but certainly the 1990s on have been tremendous. And so it got me thinking, though, because they – have gotten to second based off of a of year last year where it was not overly positive. It started positive with the Utah victory for them, and they did put a high-level prospect early in the NFL draft in Anthony Richardson. But it's still a little surprising to me, I will admit, that they are off to such a robust start. I mean, they've got, I think, 16 commitments – so, I mean, this is a real thing at this point. It's a little surprising to me to see them second in recruiting. Are you guys surprised that after a poor year, I mean, just a poor year by Florida Sanders, that they've ended up being second in recruiting, for now at least? Yeah, I, I will say it's a little bit shocking. It's not just groundbreaking. I mean, it's Florida, right? You expect them to have good recruiting classes. You expect Florida to be one of the contenders, like Ryan said a second ago. You, you've got... A lot of history there. They are a, a school that expects to contend for championships uh, every couple of years, um, and they they're a destination. I mean, Gainesville is a great place to be, you know, and they're good at just about everything. So, I, Florida being this high, it, it is a little bit shocking to me. Uh, we'll see where they end up. Again, we're a long way away from signing day, and nothing is official until the kids all sign their names. But yeah. I, it's not shocking to see them doing well, but it is shocking to see them this high at this point. I, I think one thing that's shocking uh, at this point, uh, aside from all the other, uh, the fact that they had a, a not such a good year, and I mean the you know, jury is still out on Billy Napier and what he can or can't do there, and so there's a lot of stuff there. But they also they had also hit headlines because of a recruit that they lost. Yeah, over NIL that they couldn't pay NIL, and I mean the kid was very vocal about leaving the, his commitment with Florida because they couldn't pay the NIL money and all, all this kind of stuff. And that has not deterred them. They have. It was like as soon as he left, it like opened up the floodgates for more players to come in. And it's been as soon as he left, it was like four star, four star, four star, four star, four star, just over and over and over. So that's where it surprised me because I really thought once that kid left and, and was as vocal as he was, like, man, Florida is not going to recover from that. <laughs> I don't know how little how little I knew they they recovered in a big way. Yeah, it was uh, Jaden Rashada. Jaden Rashada, a, that's right, a big time quarterback prospect. I think he ultimately landed with Arizona State. He was a like the number six quarterback, and 
in the 2023 class. I mean, you're right from that standpoint, too. It's why it fascinates me. I'm not trying to be irrational and think that Florida has, like, no ability to do this. Like, they clearly have done this many times in the last 15 years through kind of the recruiting boom of the 2000s. But I guess what I'm saying is they had a lot of reasons to – not be in this place. They had far many more reasons to be in a poor recruiting place because of the year they had last year, because of that NIL stuff. That's a great point. I mean, that, that, that if you're a kid coming in, would scare the hell out of me because mm-hmm. a kid was not going to get what he was promised out of the NIL, and so now he's going somewhere else. Like That's, that's about in the rec- just the particular recruiting side of things. That's about as poor a press as you can get is, is oh, they did not bring the promised NIL amount to the table. And, of course, we speak about this. It's not supposed to be just the school's responsibility. I mean, that's, again, every now and then you got to be reminded, like, that's not what NIL is supposed to be, what it's kind of been because people have taken advantage of situations and that sort of thing. That's how we speak about that kind of language. But you have that go against you. You have the, the product in the field, a coach that, Look, if you can cycle rosters quicker, which we've talked about this in the past too, if you can cycle rosters quicker, you're not going to get as much leniency for a poor start to a tenure. Like you're not going to get the five years anymore in most cases. If your program is incredibly broken and has been broken for a long time, I can see how you get four or five years still. Uh, still, excuse me, but. Uh, I don't really see big programs waiting much longer than two or three years anymore yeah. because of the way that you can rotate rosters so quickly. What was interesting to me is that when Billy Napier was introduced as the Florida head coach, he said, look, we're not where we need to be, and we're not going to get there immediately. And he he asked. He asked of the university and of the fan base, hey, give me a couple of years. Well, it's been a couple of years, so now is when Florida is expected to provide results. The Billy Napier tenure – is expected to show growth and, and start competing again. Uh, if not this year, then you know proof of concept this year and compete next year. So I, I think it is important. I think it's a good sign for that type of plan that right now Florida is doing as well as it's doing. And I don't want to go too deep into it because in the month of July or August, uh, we will be going through all the SEC schools. We'll do a preview of all of them and we'll – really break down things for their 2023 football schedule and and what we expect out of them. But, you know, Florida has that Utah game again, as they they did last year, and this time it's at Utah. And in the Western Division, you know, they always play LSU. They'll have Arkansas this year, which is going to be a pretty even level game. So they still have enough teeth on the schedule. They've got the Florida State game, which all of a sudden Florida State's a lot's expected out of them this year. So Florida is still not guaranteed to have uh, a great year on the field this year. And yet, again, they – and we certainly have talked about the 2024 schedule when it was revealed last week is having – gosh, when you factor in conference and non-conference, I don't know if anyone's going to end up tougher than theirs in 2024. So I guess I'm just a little surprised because all Florida has right now – and I shouldn't say all, but the majority of what Florida has is an expectation – they have the expectation that they are supposed to compete, and they are supposed to compete. Uh, but their facilities are solid. I get that. The great location in Florida, fine. But at the end of the day, everything else that's actually substantive is going against them right now. They've been through a lot of head coaches. 
Napier has been doubted by the fan base since day one. The NIL scare with Rashada. And yet, they're sitting second in recruiting right now. You know, the, the Rashada thing might have been a bit of a wake-up call for them. They might have yeah, said, hey, you know, they we, used it their our, our NIL is not good enough. If we want to compete in this market, we've got to do better. And in a similar way that I think Ole Miss has done, in a way that Auburn has done to a certain extent, uh, it may have just been them getting their NIL act together. And again, uh, they rank second in recruiting right now, going through the on-three industry uh, rankings. Georgia is first right now. No surprise, Ohio State, Alabama not far behind, third and fourth, Michigan fifth. The other SEC schools there in the top 20, LSU at nine, South Carolina at 12, Tennessee at 13, Auburn currently at 15, right behind them, Arkansas at 16, Texas A&M 20. I'll give you a bonus couple. Let's just go through 23 because Ole Miss 21 and the Mississippi State 23. So if you're not in the top 10, top 15, then you are below average right now uh, mm-hmm. with SEC. And, again, I, that's not even factoring Oklahoma, who's right now, uh, I believe, 18th. So it was t- we were. I was trying to remember the other day, it was Texas that's in the 60s right now, not Oklahoma. Yeah. Texas having weirdly bad recruiting. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, again, very tough, uh, tough deal in the SEC. But Florida right now making some serious headway. Uh, at least at this point. Still a long way to go uh, to signing day, and uh, another bad season could bleed some of those guys before they actually sign, but nevertheless, Florida right now with a huge week in recruiting, jumping from 11th to 2nd in the rankings. We're going to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we're going to go to the Auburn Bank phone line. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Dontree, and Tom Peavy with you here today. Let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. First up on the Auburn Bank phone line today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you doing today? I'm good in War Eagle. War Eagle. I know that y'all were talking about like uh, the recruiting for Auburn uh, for next year in 2024. Yeah, a little bit about Auburn. They uh, they rank 15th. We were also talking about Florida in that last segment. Um, well, with Auburn actually being number 15 in the in the recruiting, um, I'm looking at some great uh, high school recruits that might come to Auburn. Um, I'm actually looking at one uh, student from uh, not Auburn Modern, Booker T. Washington High School, and seeing if he's – I know he's already committed to Auburn, but I just wanted to see – um, is he going to be a good fit for uh, Hugh Freeze in 2024? Yeah, um, I'm uh, not exactly. Or you're talking about Joseph Phillips, I think he uh, he's from Booker T. Washington. Uh, he yeah. committed to Auburn just the, the uh, just last week over Georgia, and yeah, that was a big get for Auburn. He's uh, currently the highest ranked player 
overall that, that Auburn has in 2024. So Joe Phillips, I think, definitely uh, should it. I mean, you, you never know for sure. I shouldn't say definitely, but I, I think he will have an opportunity at one point to be a very accomplished linebacker in the SEC. Yeah, so if, uh, if Joe Phillips is actually coming to Auburn in 2024, because I'm an Auburn fan as well, so I could actually get to meet him and uh, show him, you know, what what we actually, from a fan's uh, perspective, on the standpoint, I can actually show him around the campus and see if he likes it, and he's gonna, you know, ask, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm familiar with. Uh, some of the some of the students at my old Auburn Modern, so I know a lot of former students. They want to, you know, like myself. They want to actually come to Auburn, and you know that that will make me, you know, very interesting to see some of my old some of my new friends that are actually, you know, taking in a lot of steps that I've left uh, from that school that I've left behind for the next, uh, you know, seniors from that school as well and I left a big a big door open for the next uh few years from that school as well yeah hoping uh hoping all the big time prospects um wherever they whether they're from the state of Alabama or not will will end up going Auburn's way yeah because you know I've um I've seen a lot of people um a lot of my old uh high school friends I graduated from they said uh what do you think about Auburn do you think Auburn um, you know, fit me well. And I said, yes, it, it fit me very well. It fits like a glove. And I'm always going to be an Auburn fan, you know, no matter what, what the outcome is for, for me, I'm just going to stay an Auburn fan and maybe retire in Auburn as well. And that's what I'm thinking about doing, actually moving from Montgomery, Alabama to Auburn and actually calling it Auburn home because that's what I, uh, intentionally doing. Cause when I was in high school, that was in the back of my mind and, I told my parents, I said, Mom, Dad, I'm thinking about becoming an Auburn fan and uh, went to my first Auburn football game there in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And ever since then, it just went off from there. So you're thinking about moving to Auburn? Yes, as well, because I actually have uh, good friends that I've uh, actually, you know, seen from time to time in Auburn. And um, a lot of people in Auburn, they really like how I, how I actually – uh, made Auburn uh, home, and um, a lot of people always come out and um, actually see me around uh, Auburn University and always ask me what I'm actually doing for that weekend, or uh, they actually hang out with me at um, at, at some of my favorite uh, hot spots in Auburn as well. Kind of like Sky Bar. Yes, I had the uh, Sky Bar, which is one of my favorite hot spots, uh, Tumor's Corner, which is uh, one of my other hot spots. Summer's Drug um, is one of my other hot spots during the during the hot summer months. So I go in there and I get the uh, Summer's uh, Drug Lemonade, which is really really good and very refreshing as well. Yeah, absolutely recommend the the Tuber's Lemonade for everybody. What else is on your mind today? Well, with the NBA draft uh, starting tomorrow, I'm actually going to be looking at some uh, mock drafts and uh, seeing who's going to get picked overall in um in night one of the nba draft and i think it's going to be uh it's going to be uh the six seven um prospect i'm actually looking at and um uh this kid from uh france i i I see great things coming out of victor uh and yumbiana sorry 
Donnie all Hayes. good. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a difficult name to pronounce. It's Victor Wimbignana, but but yeah, he uh, he's actually seven four seven five. He's uh, he's a very large dude, and uh, he will be number one to the San Antonio Spurs. But this is there's, there's been a lot of hype about him, and we will certainly talk about him a little bit more this week. Yes, that's well because I did see some of his. Uh, I did see a lot of uh, videos on my Twitter feed with him actually going to uh, New York because I think that's where the NBA draft is actually in the location in New York and Brooklyn, New York. And I know his height. I know it's kind of it, his height is very tall, so I know it's kind of it's kind of you know, kind of difficult for, for a tall kid like that. Cause I know it's some different uh, ways to actually, you know, take in. And a lot of people were saying that he's really tall and I think he's going to be a really good NBA star this year. Yeah. It's got to be kind of hard to do even some of the simple things. I mean, you're that tall, I mean, it's going to be kind of difficult to get in a vehicle and you're going to stand out wherever you go. You're going to stand out in the crowd. Yes, that's all. And then I saw on ESPN, uh, he was actually throwing out the first pitch, I think, at a baseball game. And uh, they showed a picture of the baseball. And I, and I thought it was like a – it looked like a baseball, but it, it considered like a like a golf ball or a tennis ball or, you know, something like that. But I know it was like a baseball that he actually had, like, big, big hands as well. Yeah, I saw that picture too. He uh, his hands were were very large. He made that that baseball, as you said, look more like a golf ball. Yes, that's all. And I um, I hope that uh, the the San Antonio Spurs would need him. And I think the San Antonio Spurs would look like a a um, NBA playoff team this year. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to question uh, how far the the Spurs can go and how quickly they can get there with. Wimbignana. That's definitely an interesting conversation. And uh, again, there, there's the expectation he's going to make a high impact from the word go. So it's going to be very interesting to watch his career play out and his rookie season. Yes, that's well. And then with the NFL news, um, we're so far away from the uh, kickoff of the uh, 2023 um, Hall of Fame ceremony uh, kickoff game. Um, I was uh, getting. Uh, a lot of messages from uh, ESPN and Fox Sports News and the NFL Network about uh, Miami's running back uh, Tyreek Hill. And what do you all think on uh, what happened with Tyreek? Do you think he has another chance to um, change his outcome before the season starts? Yeah, I, I know that there is going to be a uh, there was some sort of arrest and uh, impending investigation. Uh, with Tyree Kill and uh, I, I honestly, again, it, when we start to do the um, investigations and that sort of thing, then I like for those to play out first. Uh, but you know, there's some sort of assault uh, allegation there, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if he'll end up getting suspended. Obviously, if if that is something that occurred, then he would. But uh, it, it's so early in the process, we really just don't have many facts right now. Yeah, so um, when those uh, facts actually come more clear to me, I'll just keep up uh, with that story as well, and then I'll just tell you all on uh, tomorrow's show as well. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if the if the facts will come out uh, just in 24 hours. I think that will come out over a, a period of time, and 
I don't know if there'll be a, a court case or anything like that. So it, it could take months, not days, but uh, I'm sure the, the Dolphins and the NFL world will be watching closely. Yes, as well, because I know um, a lot of um, fantasy owners would like to know um, if that's going to be, you know, that's, they're going to actually look at Tyree Kill because I know that is going to be on everybody's radar as well because I know a lot of fantasy owners like myself and many others that play NFL fantasy football. I know that's going to be one uh, key story that all the fantasy football owners would actually look at as well. Yep, uh, definitely will make an impact there too. What else is on your mind? Well, I'm actually um, going to be looking at uh, later on tonight, I'm actually going to be seeing uh, Wake Forest and LSU, and I have Wake Forest actually beating LSU as well. And uh, for the College World Series, I see um, in my crystal ball, I see uh, Florida and Wake Forest actually um, taking it, and Wake Forest would actually beat Florida as well and win the College World Series uh, whenever that comes available. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably a pretty smart prediction. Florida right now beating TCU 2-1 to one in the eighth inning. If Florida wins, they do advance to the uh, final series of the College World Series. They would eliminate TCU. And then for the LSU and Wake Forest game night, LSU is going to have to win win twice against Wake Forest. So that will be a, a formidable challenge. Not going to rule it out for LSU. They're an incredibly talented team, as we've talked about all season long. It's no surprise they've made it to this point, but they are in an uphill battle needing to beat Wake Forest twice. Yes, that's all, because I would uh, I'll be rooting for uh, Wake Forest to actually beat LSU and and seeing if they're actually going to advance to the College World Series as well, so I'm just going to uh, put all my chips on the table and uh, and roll the dice as well and uh, see, where it, see where it lands as well. Yep, we will see. Anything else for us today before we let you go, James? Um, well, actually, I do have one quick question uh, about the uh, upcoming golf schedule. I know in uh, 2031, uh, L.A. is actually going to be adding something new to the golf uh, tournament as well. So uh, the city of Los Angeles would have their major golf tournament out there in the near future. That's what I was uh, reading or that's what I heard on the Golf Channel as well. Yeah, I know there was an announcement about the 2031 U.S. Open. I think uh, if you're referring to the Los Angeles Country Club that they just played at, the, the next time they're playing at the Los Angeles Country Club is 2039. So pretty crazy how, how far in advance that is. And uh, I'd have to double-check who the uh, 2031 site is going to be that was just announced. I did see that uh, – I think it's at Riviera, uh, Riviera. So that is in California too, but just a different course. Yeah, so I can't wait for that one. And I'm a huge golf fan, and I want to see um, who's going to actually play out there in the beautiful golf course out there in uh, Los Angeles, California. Uh, yeah, again, there's a there's a lot of great courses out there in California that they rotate through for sure. All right, sounds good, and I'll talk to y'all guys on Thursday. War Eagle. War Eagle, James. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to head to our next timeout of hour number one, back with more sports call right after this.
we need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brent Dauntry with you here on this Wednesday. We've mostly avoided rain so far. It's rained a little bit at times, but uh, there's been a lot. Sprinkled on me a little bit on the way to the studio. But there's been a lot of rain in other places, and uh, it's it's been pretty... Pretty crazy the last couple weeks, and I don't know what in the world of April is going on here in June. But uh, it has been it's been pretty it was I heard thunder in the movie theater last night, saw the boogeyman, saw a scene where there was water dripping, water began dripping from theater because of how much it's been raining. It, it really set the mood. Uh, also, College World Series update and other news. TCU just tied it oh. with Florida 2-2 in the bottom of the eighth. Florida was playing suspiciously shallow and the outfield, and then the center fielder couldn't get to it by a step. So I don't know. They were playing really shallow. I don't know if that guy had been not swinging it well or what, but uh, it cost him. Now that game's tied at two. We'll keep you updated on the College World Series. But as we continue on with the show today, let's get to birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Birthdays in sports today. We start with Frank Vogel, who turns 50, head coach of the Phoenix Suns now. He was born in New Jersey and played college basketball at Junita College in Pennsylvania. Go Eagles. Sure. Eventually transferred to Kentucky, where he was a manager. Go Wildcats. After graduating, became an assistant with the Boston Celtics and got his first head coaching job with the Pacers in 2011. Two-time All-Star Game head coach and 2020 NBA Finals champion while with the Lakers, Frank Vogel turns 50 today. Uh, out of Wildwood High School in Wildwood, New Jersey, go Warriors. Okay, Wildwood Warriors. Wildwood Warriors, yep. And then a Juniata, Juniata College in Huntington, Pennsylvania. Eagles. Scotty Scheffler turns 27 today, American pro golfer. Scheffler was born in New Jersey and moved with his family to Dallas at age six, where he discovered golf. It's like it was, the way that was working. He, he didn't well, know he what it was until he moved to, to Dallas. <laughs> Not a lot of golf. What is this Northeast. little white ball? <laughs> While in high school, he won three state championships in golf and also played basketball. That was at uh, Highland Park High School, uh, a suburb of Dallas. Go Scots. The Scots? Scots. I bet they were really good at golf. Scotty was a Scott. Scotty was a Scott. <laughs> Their marching man is called the Marching Highlanders. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The wow. Scots. Well, perfect for Scotty Scheffler, then. Scotty he the Scott. Played college golf at Texas. Good Longhorns. Where he led the Longhorns to three conference championships. In 2019, he was named Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year and started the PGA Tour being named Rookie of the Year in 2020. In 2022, he won the Masters and has been ranked as high as number one in the world. 
Scotty Scheffler turns 27 today. Tr- truly one of the best golfers out there. He's been super competitive in all these majors. Rick Sutcliffe turned 67. Former MLB pitcher Sutcliffe was born in Missouri, where he was a high school All-American, the 21st draft pick in 1974 by the L.A. Dodgers. Made his MLB debut in 1979 when he won 17 consecutive games and was named NL Rookie of the Year. Pitched 15 years in the majors for the Dodgers, Indians, Cubs, Orioles, and Cardinals. Three-time All-Star, one-time Cy Young winner, and one-time NL Wins leader and AL ERA leader and a world-time World Series champion for Rick Sutcliffe, who turned 67 today. Yep. He was uh, living in Independence, Missouri, and he attended Van Horn High School, where he was drafted and uh, go Falcons. Van Horn Falcons. Yep, the Van Horn Falcons. And then Al Wilson turns 46 today, former NFL linebacker. Wilson was born in Tennessee, where he was a high school All-American and also starred in baseball, excuse me, basketball and track. Yep, and that would have been at Jackson, Tennessee, Central Mary, and that is M-E-R-R-Y Mary, Central Mary Cougars. Cougars. The Jackson Central Mary Cougars. That's a nice mouthful right there. Played college football at Tennessee. Go Vols. Where he was a two-time All-SEC selection, one-time All-American, two-time SEC champion, and captain of the 1998 National Championship team. In 1999, he was the 31st overall pick by the Denver Broncos, where he played the entirety of his seven-year career before retiring due to injury. He was a five-time Pro Bowler and two-time All-Pro, so he was a great player when healthy. Al Wilson turns 46 today, and those are the birthdays in sports. Again, Frank Vogel, the head coach of the Suns, turns 50. Scotty Scheffler, 27. Rick Sutcliffe, 67. And Al Wilson turns 46. Let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line now at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing today? Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good to hear your voices. Hello. Thanks for, again, taking me on here. Uh, well, the monsoon has finally stopped here. Right? Actually, I've seen some sun. Uh, what's it doing up there your way? Trying to see some sun here, too. Uh, again, not has ra- definitely rained a lot last night. Has not rained as much today. All right. Well, let's get to it, guys. I'm going to go around the sports world. Uh, real briefly, I didn't know about this until I saw it from Beach Report. Uh, the 2023 Special Olympics Summer World Games were kicked off Saturday in Berlin. I uh, didn't know that. Did you guys be aware of that? I uh, had not been following it. Yeah. Uh, it says 190 uh, countries are represented uh, in the uh, Olympics, uh, Special Olympics uh, Summer World Games. So uh, just thought I'd bring that one to your attention. All right, moving on. And uh, t- Tom, I understand you're going to be doing uh, Wacky Wednesdays today, this afternoon? I, I will be leading the charge on the Wacky Wednesday, doing uh, okay. facts that are too, uh, facts that sound fake but are actually true. Okay, well, I hope to hear some really wacky ones, and you're good at this. Oh, I got a list of them. Okay, speaking of, uh, I guess, kind of wacky, uh, I saw this, uh, uh, let's see, let me get it up here, uh, from the uh, NFL, apparently, uh, from Ian Rappaport. Uh, he, uh, I guess it was on uh, Twitter, yeah, he uh, went ahead and shared with everybody uh, the, the, apparently there was an NFL conference called, uh, I guess it was today or yesterday, and uh, they went ahead and they posted six key rules for players. Now, uh, I don't know if these are new rules, guys, or they've just been existing and they've decided to emphasize them, but uh, the rules are these. One, don't bet on the NFL. And this is what was shared with, them, uh, with being shared with all the players. Number two, don't gamble at your team facility while traveling for a road game 
are staying in a team hotel. Number three, don't have someone bet for you. Now, how do you monitor that? I, I wonder, how can that be really monitored, guys, unless somebody squeals? I mean, that the, the, they caught other people betting on behalf of somebody in the Alabama baseball case. I mean, it just it just happened. So it's not, not as easy, but it's de- definitely doable. Yeah, I just wonder who would uh, squeal on somebody. But anyway, so number four says don't share team inside information. Number five, don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. And this one I did not know. Number six. Don't play daily fantasy football. Is that gambling? Well, that that one that's not so those none of those are really new. Um, those are all that's just kind of all pertaining to betting, and I think that the NFL is probably uh, going through those again as a reminder, also because obviously there's been some problems with that the last couple of years. The fantasy football part of it I had heard before, uh, and you know it. it it's a much lesser form of it, but people do play for money sometimes in fantasy football leagues. And I mean, that still is a form of betting. It's just not, it's not, uh, it's not the traditional way, but uh, it, it's more of a management style way. But if you're putting money on it and trying to acquire players and, and all that, then it's just a different kind of it. Okay. I didn't know that. So thanks for educating me about the fantasy uh, football part. And then he goes on to details of Rule 1. He says, don't bet on the NFL, not even $1. Your team's games, no team's games, out point, outcome points scored, whatever. Uh, this includes uh, the uh, Pro Bowl and the Combine. Uh, how do you bet on the Combine? I guess Vegas has odds, right? Yeah, I mean, Vegas, I mean, there's odds for all kinds of stuff. So even though that, that's not an actual game, it, it does not surprise me. Okay. Uh, it's, it's summary says, don't bet on anything while it works. The uh, one that got me, guys, is that uh, one player apparently said that he was, who, what's his name? Uh, uh, I forgot his name anyway. He uh, said that he effed up by betting on a college football game. Is that not allowed either, college football betting? Yeah, on that one, uh, I guess not. Uh, I, maybe he was talking about ha- – I mean, because you can't go into a sports book and you, again, as you just said, can't bet in a team facility or anything like that. So, uh, I mean, it's the same sport. I'm, I'm not sure uh, if, if they're allowed to do that or not. No, nothing would surprise me, though, in terms of, of being restrictive. Well, here's the, the player I just found his name. The Jacksonville Jaguars wideout, Calvin Ridley, who's in – the Atlanta Falcons was suspended during the 2022 season after it was found out that he bet on his ex-team to win games as part of multi-legged parley bets. But then he says his decision to gamble on those games in more depth in a Players' Tribune piece in which he discussed uh, that he also apparently bet on college football games. So I didn't know that that was um, also a no-no. Well, I mean, the, the big, the overwhelming big issue there is the NFL part of it. I mean, if you put if you you can do parlays with all kinds of things so i mean if there's any nfl activity involved there that's that's the biggest thing okay and moving on to say in the world of uh, wild world sports this comes from the bleach report and a reporter by the name of timothy rapp it's entitled ea sports facing lawsuit 
about a college football video game amid NIL dispute. And apparently, this comes from a website, I guess, called Front Office Sports. According to Amanda Krisovich, the Brander Group, which apparently has deals to officially negotiate group licensing contracts for 54 Division I schools, is suing the EA over the name, image, and likeness deals being offered to athletes. It says that the Brander Group uh, works with schools across the NCAA to broker group licensing deals and is arguing in court now that EA is trying to, quote, circumvent those agreements by negotiating with individual athletes to take part in some college football game. Um, apparently, according to the report, EA had originally said that any athletes in schools working with the Brander Group would have their deals done through the Brander Group. But in May of this year, uh-oh, EA decided he's going to enter a partnership with one-team partners to work out group licensing deals instead. So that's why it's going to court. The Brander Group says that the EA is offering athletes involved in this game $500 and no royalties, which the Brander Group has said is well below market value, and that the gaming publisher has offered schools around 10% of projected profits of the returning franchise. So, guys, um, this apparently is in court, and I want to get your thoughts. By the way, it says the NCAA reached a $20 million settlement in one such lawsuit with some other college basketball and football players, while EA Sports ultimately settled the Ed O'Brannon or Ed O'Bannon lawsuit for $40 million payout. Um, I didn't know these people had that kind of money, but apparently they do. But what are your thoughts about this current uh, dispute between EA and this in court and the Brander Group in representing these uh, college athletes? Yeah, I mean, if the Brander Group was supposed to only be the the only ones that negotiated on behalf of these players with the NCAA and, and then it didn't go that way, then obviously I I, I see their argument and, and uh, you know, that could be a breach of contract. But, uh, you know, th- that second part of that argument where they said they're getting below market value, you know, that, again, that's I'm getting kind of tired of that, to be honest with you. Uh, they... Uh, don't have to get anything. NCAA can still make the game, make fictitious players, and then uh, just p- someone create uh, a community roster and download it, and boom, there you go. And, and we've not even had this game for the last nine years. So again, there doesn't even have to be a game. There doesn't have to be uh, real players in the game. And and so they, they continue to try and get more than they have to and I again, I, I'm not going to side with them on that because that that their value on this level does not really exist because people will not not buy the game whether they're in it or out of it. It, it won't have anything to do with with that. That's what I was curious about, uh, Ryan. So you brought that up. If you were just to have generic players, yeah, for different college teams, do you think it would be? as much in demand and, and um, purchase as much as if they actually had Bo Jackson, you know, playing or whoever uh, instead of, you know, just a generic, you know, player. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, it, the demand would not change, honestly, especially especially with this first one because everybody's missed the game so much. Uh, I Again, I, if anyone uh, if anyone is on the fence about it and – and and would not buy it if the players are not real. Then be my guest to, to put a word in. But I, I 
I don't see how that's going to be a, a breaking point for people when they've not had the game for a decade. And I know that when the game used to come out every single year, there were some modes, there were some times where they did put some legends into the game and they kind of marketed it as a special occasion. Like you can play with a, a legend of the game, a Heisman Trophy winner, that t- type of thing. And so they marketed that as a special mode. But uh, again, I think the people that have missed this game have missed this game and they're going to play it regardless on, on if the people are real or not. And again, there are ways to create and, and modify the rosters to uh, for, for users to make them the real people. So uh, the, the roster share. So I, I, I do not think that, that it has really any any impact on the demand. Okay. Uh, and this is for all you guys, uh, Brett, Todd, and yourself. This comes from a website called outkick.com. Just happened to see it. And it says that apparently Metcalf, DK.calf, is apparently strongly involved uh, in recruiting None other than Mr. Perry Thompson to flip from Alabama to uh, to us. Uh, apparently, he even got on FaceTime over the weekend yep. with Thompson uh, uh, for for Hugh Freeze. And uh, I, I'm really, I mean, Metcalf is not even an Auburn player. Never has any played for Ole Miss. I think for Fuse, uh, Hugh Freeze for one year while he was there, right? Uh, I, I don't remember how many years, but yeah, I mean, he played under Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. So, uh, hey, use, use it to if he's willing to help Auburn recruit. Uh, and and willing to help tell these players about Hugh Freeze, then hey, let's go. Uh, I, I mean, why not? Uh, Auburn has struggled to get the big top notch five star wide receivers, and uh, they are now in the play for a couple of them, uh, including the potentially flipping Perry Thompson from Alabama. And so, if it means getting them FaceTiming with DK Metcalf as an incentive to come to Auburn, then I'm all for it. Yeah, and of course, the last comment uh, from what I've read. Uh, from Mr. Trondham. So he said uh, they're even. He said, in fact, he said the Auburn has pulled even with Alabama. They are neck and neck. Yeah. And, and, so, and I know, and he has not announced anything, but I mean, over the weekend, uh, when he was on his visit, there were uh, a lot of players and coaches all doing the eye emojis, which usually means there's something big happening. And I'm wondering, he says they pulled even. I'm almost wondering if Perry Thompson may have even said something more than that but he's keeping it kind of under wraps at the moment just from the reaction of everybody uh on twitter it, it really seems like there was it seemed like it was more than they just pulled even yeah well i suspect he won't actually make any commitment until actual signing day uh do you think it'll be in december this signing day or the, the traditional signing day in february i think most guys sign the first that time first I mean, they, they sign it the first one now you know, he might give a commitment uh, between now and then. It, he might not be. He might go. He might not go to uncommitted. But again, I want to caution that even if he does commit to Auburn, let's say in the next week or two, there's still going to be five months of time between then and, and signing day. And if he can decommit from Alabama, he can decommit from Auburn too. Um, so, you know, we, we treat commitments when we certainly talk about commitments. That's the point in which we really start to talk about a lot of guys, except for maybe a case like Perry Thompson's where we've obviously talked about him a good bit. But um, it, it's kind of like uh, – I, 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 this is kind of a, 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 now, a different analogy, but it's kind of like uh, you, you, uh, you have a girlfriend or something that, that cheated on the past boyfriend, and, and then you say, oh, she wouldn't do that to me. Well, she could. 
There's no why. What makes you special? You know, you don't know. So if they I, did it once, why right, would they not right? Do it, again? it could happen again. So not promising that, and and he might if he stays if he flips commitment, he might stay committed. But you know, these guys that commit one and two and three years out, you know, that's a long period of time to stay committed when when there's a lot of commitment flips in high school. So final question, guys, because uh, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. If not, let me know. Once they a player signs in December, then that's it, right? They can't decommit. Yeah, I mean, once they sign the letter of intent, it becomes very hard. Now, you've still seen, uh, I feel, an increase. I've seen seen an increase of guys ask out of their national letter of intent. In fact, I think Jaden Rashada, who we talked about earlier, the the kid from Florida that didn't get the money. Yeah, I think he I think he asked out of his letter of intent. So, it's fathomable, but I mean, it's like 99.5% certain at that point. There's, It's still very few. It does happen where they ask out a letter of intent, but it is it is still few and far between. Okay, so apparently there's nothing guaranteed until they actually are on campus. Yeah, I mean, that's when it becomes 100% certain, yeah. Okay, any update on the uh, TCU-Florida game? Florida just scored on an infield single in the top of the ninth to take a 3-2 lead. Okay. Thank you, guys, always, and appreciate your insights and commentary, and I can't wait to hear how wacky your uh, wacky uh, stuff you're going to come up with, uh, Mr. Tom Peavy. All right. Well, keep listening. It'll be a good one. All right. Will do. Have a safe afternoon, guys. Until tomorrow, War Eagle. You too, Steve. That is retired Ward M. Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We are down to our last minute here of our number one. Again, we don't have time to deep dive into it, but uh, and I would tell that about any commitment, you know, it, it, no matter the school. That word commitment is misleading. It's not wow. the commitment that we as adult humans try to give to someone. I commit to being here each and every day. That's my job. You know, there will be a few times where I'm not, but I'll let you know And if that commitment has to be broken. You know, that kind of commitment is not the kind of commitment you have no. in high school. We've heard people like Cole Pinkston talk about they don't stop recruiting them just because oh, yeah. they're committed well now here, here's the one that I've, I've noticed that uh there's been now the kind of the the new commitment quote unquote I'm using my finger quotes again for everybody out there in the listening world uh the newest now quote unquote commitment is to say I'm shutting down my recruitment so there's commitment. That's hey, like your next level. Right. Don't contact exactly. me. I'm done yeah, now. It's like, you know, trying to get to first base with a girl. That's getting to second base. So it's like shutting down the recruitment. Heck yeah. <laughs> Keep using those analogies. We'll see if we can cook up more of those in hour number two. We are out of time for hour number one. We're going to commit to this next commercial break, and we're going to commit to two more hours of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show right after this. One hour of our show is in the books. 
We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brant Daughtry with you here on this Wednesday afternoon as uh, we're one hour away from another Wacky Wednesday. We will uh, not be consuming things this time. You will be consuming knowledge. Consuming knowledge. Okay, fair. I I will not have my taste buds altered. By, 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 by things. Bacon soda. Right. Not bacon soda. Baking soda. Yeah, not baking soda. Bacon. Bacon. Soda. Which, again, I know that you guys have tasted like the bacon bits, but I just it didn't did. taste bacon. Yeah, it, did. just, it tasted like a handful of bacon bits. It just tasted like I don't want it. Uh, uh, I'm telling you, the one that got me was the, the, the ranch dressing soda, because I was sitting here pouring it, and as I was pouring them into the cups, all I could smell was ranch dressing, and I hate yeah. Ranch dressing. It ruined your fries the uh, other yeah, week, too. Yeah. Yeah. It did. I wouldn't even eat fries. I, I don't eat anything that's like mayonnaise based. So, ranch dressing is basically mayonnaise with stuff in it. And no. Nah, yeah. Not doing it. But uh, if you're wondering what we're talking about, you can go back and check out the Sports Call podcast, which is brought to you by Coca Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. And join Ice Cold Coca Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca Cola taste the feeling before the break we were talking some uh of the language of commits because and of high school recruiting because it's not so black and white it's not i'm committed and i will always be committed and then i will always be with your school we know the dynamics of continually recruiting kids despite the verbal commitment it kind of gets to my where I get grumpiest when we talk about about, about athletics and we talk about the recruiting process. I just don't see the why why you have to say the whole commitment bit two years out. Like we know you're not committed. It's two years early. Like I'm not committed to what's going on in two years from now. What 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 am I committed to? You know, are you committed to something two years from now? Unless you have a wedding ring on, I don't and maybe you own a house. There's not gonna be a lot you're committed to in two years. You could be committed to your job all you want. What if the company you work for folds or has a change in ownership? You really committed two years later? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then that's and that's when look, I get some of it would be it would be totally normal. It's like, oh well, my head coach changed. Well, okay, I get that. Your coaching staff changes. That's part of the reason. That's part of the language in the transfer deal. You know, I mean, where people say, well, if coaches can leave jobs, can I not transfer? However much I please, and I say yes originally. Then I say at some point. You know, I don't think a head coach is moving three or four times in four or five years. 
You know, that, that is not normal. So I don't know if that should be normal with the transfer. But, like, I, you, could, you could talk me into that for sure for high school kids. But we know that there are way too many flips and decommitments that do not cover just a simple coaching staff change. Uh, do you guys, I, I'm probably more bothered than you guys, but do you guys get bothered by the need to commit so far out or the, the constant nature of decommitting and flipping and that sort of thing? I, no, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me me anymore just because it has just become such the norm. Now it used to because back years ago a commitment was a commitment. I mean you you didn't see a lot of those flips. You you didn't see, hey, I'm committed to I'm committed to Auburn, but I'm going to take all these visits and keep doing the process. It's like, oh, well, then why are you committing? I mean that makes no sense whatsoever. But like I said, now the latest trend is upping that upping it once it's it's a commitment and then it's i'm shutting down my recruitment and then it's signing it used to just be a commitment then you would sign and they were here and that, that's what it was you would have a flip every now and then but it wasn't like it is of the last several years where a commitment just means absolutely nothing other than you just said it uh but uh that's been a big thing walker white the the quarterback commitment he he was the first to announce that he was shutting down his recruitment and then Martavius Collins shut down his recruitment. And then Amon Lane shut down his recruitment. And then Jamarian uh, uh, Burnett, Burnett uh, the other day uh, shut down his recruitment. So that's like become the newest thing. It's like I'm committed. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm shutting down my recruitment. I'm like, all right, that's the new commitment. It's like, here we go. Now we just got to get the sign, you know, signing. So, uh, I, yeah, commitment, I take it with a grain of salt until they sign on that letter. Uh, I, I've seen it working in that industry for the little bit of time that I did uh, when I worked for Auburn Undercover for a, uh, for a little bit. I, I saw the all the inner workings of that, and I knew you know commits are basically BS. Uh, I mean that's really ultimately what it was, uh, and even coaches understood that. They, the coaches understood that okay, yeah, the kids committed. We still have to keep recruiting them. We can't just go oh okay well you know see you they, in the fall yeah, yeah they committed we'll see you when you sign your letter of intent no they still have to keep recruiting because if you commit to auburn nick saban's not going to stop Dabo sweeney's not going to stop kirby smart Hugh um lane kiffin they're not once upon a time hugh freeze wasn't going to stop oh, yeah yeah. Uh, yeah exactly they're not going to stop recruiting you they're not going to stop um bringing you in for official visits and things like that and trying to change your mind so yeah i mean a commit is it's cool uh you like to see that but you know as fans you just have to understand that you know, a commit doesn't really mean a whole lot prime example right now uh uh perry thompson uh isn't that right thompson yeah thompson. Yes. and that's why we're talking about not it, thomas yeah. thompson yes i was making sure i was saying as in like the high school yeah. uh, yes uh well except he goes to foley so <laughs> I know. I'm very aware, but I'm saying Thompson as in Thompson High School. I, 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 yes. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been committed to Alabama for a while. Hasn't stopped anybody from going after him. And Auburn has gone hard after him. Got him here for an official visit. And apparently he loved it. And now all the eyeball emojis are thinking mm, he may not be so much committed to Alabama anymore. So it, it is what it is. You, you, you know, as fans, you just kind of have to understand that a commitment. You, you like to see it, and, and you hope that you can hang on to them, but they, it really does not mean a whole lot these days. 
Yeah, to me, it, it, I kind of like Tom said, it used to bother me. It doesn't as much anymore. For starters, I remember being 16, 17, 18. I remember being that age. It was almost a decade ago, which is a terrifying thought. But, you know, you can change your mind on a whim. And you have all these schools, come, all these coaches coming to you and promising you the world, you know, I'm going to get you to the next level. You're going you're gonna to be a starter for day one. We see so much potential in you. Man, you're a, you're a potential Heisman-winning quarterback. Just come play for me. You know, they're, be, they're having all these things tossed at them, all these promises. And in today's world, all this NIL money and in that world, all that under-the-table money. And, and you know, these kids are being promised everything by these coaches. And it's a whole lot, and it's stressful to – to say no to somebody who's promising you the world, you know, and I'm not saying these kids are being victimized. They're far from it. But there is a lot that these kids have to consider. And just because you commit to one thing does not mean you can change your mind later. You know, we've compared it to dating a couple of times. When you're dating somebody, yeah, you're committed to them. Doesn't mean you're going to marry them. Let's say lining, signing your letter of intent is the marriage. Well, you're committed. Well, you're, it's an audition for marriage but it doesn't mean you're going to date. It doesn't mean that you're going to end up signing the line, right? So the other thing that I've learned is nothing is final. Don't follow recruiting that hard because it is a rat race. And kids that you've never heard of are going to sign with your school and kids that commit to you for two years are going to to flip to Georgia on signing day. So shout out to George Pickens. Uh, It's it's a... (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, it came out that, like, that was in the works for, like, Half the time he was committed to Auburn, so it's it's a it's a rat race, and worrying about it too much isn't going to matter because at the end of the day, a lot of these kids that are really high ranking recruits are never going to play, and a lot of these three stars are going to end up being your starters. So yes, recruiting classes matter. You need to have good recruiting classes, and you need as many super talented kids as possible. But you give me a wild goose chase. Yeah, it it absolutely is a wild goose chase, and and. Look, I'm not saying you can get a class of 25 three stars and compete for championships. You can't. That's proven. But yeah, Bowling Green. To, to yeah, yeah. <laughs> to to lose sleep over kids who are committing and decommitting and uh, all, all of that kind of thing, it, it's it's not worth the time. It is not worth the time. Now, the guys that cover recruiting, absolutely, they're great at it. And, and if a kid comes in and he is again, most five stars pan out, right? But there are a lot that don't. And most three stars are just role players, but some of them end up being superstars. It's, it is a rat race, and the only thing that matters is winning on Saturdays. There's so much of it that there's just not many rules of thumb that you yeah. can use. You can't even – like you in one sentence you can say recruiting is so vital, look at the blue-chip ratio. You don't win unless you qualify for the blue-chip ratio. Yeah. The other side of it can be – if you're an Auburn person, it's like, hey, look at these five-star busts that Auburn's had the last decade. And it, you know? it's not just Auburn. Right, I know we're right, hyper-focusing right. Sure. on it because it's where right. we are. But it's not just Auburn, so it's like, contrary to popular belief. So it's like there's, I don't know, what's a good number, 35 stars, something in there? Something like that. It depends on the class. It's like 20 of them are going to end up being great, five of them will be okay, and five of them will be terrible, you know, or, or just or not, not living up to it. And I don't even know if that's the right – right equation but just giving you example of there will be a few that end up not panning out and then of the three-star variety well we've had three-star heisman trophy winners and we've had uh what was it the super bowl roster one of them had like five or six either two-star unranked guys like travis kelsey and and all that kind of stuff and so 
Look, it is all that to say is you like to marry yourself to one idea and one line of thinking. In general, yes, you need the big classes and you need good stuff. But if you go individually, which is why we don't go on it too often, if you go individual case-by-case basis, there's a lot of cases. And so there's going to be a lot of cases that work out to one point or work out to another point. Um, You know, it's just... I, I get the it's kind of like a almost like a peer pressure point of view there. If you're 16 and you're offered half the world, then you feel obligated to take half the world, even though three quarters of the world might be offered when you're 17 to get that fifth star or or whatever. But uh, you know, it's also like there is. I, it's also like the coaches know the commitment doesn't really mean much now. So it's all, almost like I don't. I would also blame the coaches for saying, "Oh, you need to commit." Well, no, you don't. I would rather everyone just commit at signing day of their senior year. That that would be <laughs> that would be utopia for me from the recruiting side of things. I'd be very calm. We could then read tea leaves as the tea leaves and we wouldn't have to worry about, oh, you know, well, this guy committed, but now we're not feeling good about him and you know, cuz like Auburn was starting to get a little shaky on Jeremiah Cobb, for example, like I don't know, maybe George is going to come in the last second. Oh, we're good. All right, crisis averted. Tank <laughs> Bigsby, Tank Bigsby was Tank one. Bigsby's a great yeah, yeah, better yeah. example, you know. Everybody was concerned he was going to go to Georgia. So, you know, it, it's just again, we 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 obviously have to talk about it and you got you got to do it at the end of the day. You got to be good at it. But there's a lot to worry about with it, and it never stops. Uh, while we're on the subject of recruiting, uh, let's mention this little breaking news story here in the softball world. Oh, yeah, I saw this today. Yeah. Uh, Anna, Anna Wohlers, she is a 2023 All-Big East first-team catcher from DePaul, has announced that she will be Continuing, quote, I'm continuing my last two years of eligibility with Auburn Softball War Eagle. So Auburn Softball picking up a first-team All-Big East catcher in Anna Wallers. Yeah, I saw she's hitting something like 330 and had 12 home runs last year. Uh, Like you said, first-team All-Big East, really good player. And it looks looks to – to be a bat in Auburn's lineup this year. Yeah, they they had to do that after some of the departures. Obviously, we know Brielle, yeah. who did commit to Arkansas, to Arkansas the other yeah. night. I don't that know one, if we that one stings. Mentioned that, yeah, uh, and we get in that. We second. mentioned it a little bit yesterday. Uh, yeah, we, it was it in was a phone very, call. Maybe. It was very yeah. brief, and we talked about it. Um, so with this player from DePaul, again, Anna Wallers, who was a sophomore. Uh, again, give you the exact numbers on this. Last year hit 364, 12 home runs, 38 RBIs. Year before, as a freshman, still hit 318, eight homers, 37 RBIs. So obviously, you come from literally any conference other than the SEC. It's, quote, a smaller conference than the SEC, but um, you like 360 travels. We know that. Isis Tresvik came from a lower level college softball. She ended up starting all season for Auburn and was a perfectly capable bat for the Tigers. So, uh, but yeah, Bree Ellis did go to Arkansas a couple nights ago. Don't know if we know anything about Lindsey Garcia and uh, Denver Bryant yet, which were the other main transfers. Uh, but so Auburn does clearly have some some bats to fill there in the lineup and. Someone hitting 360 with double-digit home run power seems like a, uh, a really good place. Pretty good to, pickup, yeah. A really good place to start there. We're going to take our first timeout here of our number two. Back with more Sports Call after this timeout.
Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brand Doctor, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. Wacky Wednesday comes up in hour number three. That's, That's right. Tom will have some hard-to-believe facts for us. And uh, we've we've had a number of uh, Tom sort of uh, stories slash facts slash truth is stranger than fiction, all that Pretty cool stuff. All that stuff. So we'll have more of that coming up in our number three. Uh, we'll have a different show tomorrow uh, as uh, we'll have Cam and Brooks on. So they'll be doing the main NBA draft breakdown with me as uh, we get into uh, the draft tomorrow night, which is, again, so quickly after the uh, the NBA season. It's, it's hard to believe. So we won't get too much into it today. I did want to ask you guys a question or two about the draft, though, as we prepare for Thursday night's NBA draft. Again, it takes place all in one night, just two rounds, uh, short and sweet compared to the NFL draft that goes all weekend long. Um, Victor Wimbignana, he is the talk of, of the basketball world. 7'5", dude. He uh, has been kind of preparing for this since age 12. I was listening to some stuff on him last night. He is going number one. There is absolutely no doubt about that. So what's the proper expectation in your mind to put on somebody who is being labeled as the best prospect since LeBron 20 years ago? What What is the right way of thinking about the expectation level for him. I think if you're the San Antonio Spurs and you have that first overall pick, you're looking at Wimby and going, all right, in a couple of years, we need to put the right guys around this guy so that he can lead us to a championship, hopefully multiple championships. Um, and hopefully before Greg Popovich is done coaching. I don't. I, he's an old, old guy, old by normal people standards, much less coach standards. So... I, you don't know how long he has left, but you want to get Popovich another ring, I would think, or a ring or two or three, um, and you want to get it while you have Wimanyama on on whatever his rookie deal is going to be because if this guy is as legit as everybody expects him to be, he's going to take up an enormous amount of money here very soon, and whether that's from San Antonio or he goes to L.A. or whatever other big market he wants to go to, um, and, and again, not saying he wants to. He may get drafted by the Spurs and be there for – 30 years, you know, but it, it, it just looks, I don't know. It, the clock starts ticking while you have this guy at a young age, a guy that everybody expects to, to, to be this difference maker, this championship caliber, best player, MVP type of guy. You need to start building for a championship immediately. Tom, I know you don't typically follow the NBA, but uh, does Wimbenyana intrigue you a little bit? 
975 do that can do a bunch of bunch of stuff? I I mean, I'm intrigued because he's 75. I mean, in in today's world of NBA, you just you don't see guys that tall. Excuse me. You've got seven footers galore, and and you might have a guy here and there that cracks seven one. Seven five is dumb. I, I mean, you don't see that. So I'm intrigued with that. However, yeah, I mean, I, I man, if you start trying to compare somebody to LeBron, I would say, hey, pump the brakes. Uh, pump the dadgum brakes. LeBron was a generational dude that everybody knew was going to be that generational dude. He was the guy that his high school games were being played on ESPN. Everybody knew that LeBron there, – there was no doubt whatsoever that LeBron James – was special. I've not heard the same from from uh from this guy. I I know he's good. He's seven five. I know he's really good. But I mean, if you want to start trying to compare him to one of the best to ever play the game, a generational type guy, uh, you got to pump the brakes a little bit. There, there's been many super big, tall dudes that have come into the league that don't amount to jack. Uh, I, you know, I remember when Sean Bradley was the talk of everything because he was so tall. I think he, Sean Bradley was like maybe seven, two, seven, three. Everybody talked about him. He never, he had never amounted to anything really. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, you're playing a dangerous game when you start trying to compare somebody to the likes of a LeBron James, like, Hey, this guy might be as good as LeBron. Like, Hmm, that's, that's tough to do when you're looking at an entire league of players that are as not as good as LeBron James to think that this dude's just going to come in and be that good. It's it's in you got to pump the very unlikely. But yeah. you talk to people around the NBA and that's absolutely what they believe that that he is the biggest prospect since LeBron and that he will have um a, an incredible impact. I, I remember at He's the, only at, 19 years old. Well, sure, but aren't they all when well, they when sure. they go to the league for the first time? Uh-huh. Uh, when the Spurs won the draft lottery, their GM looked like a kid on Christmas. Sure, he was so excited. I that something like that not would not normally strike me. Like, oh yeah, you know, cool, won the lottery, first pick, yay! I mean, he was just like Giddy. let out like a woo, like. They had won the 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 Powerball lottery. Right, like that's my reaction. I win the Powerball lottery. Um, I think that what concerns me it's it's the blessing and the curse for Wimbenyana. The blessing, what is so tantalizing about him, is that he is seven five, and he can move and has the skills of a guard. Right. That's why he he's different than the other generic seven guy seven foot guys, and obviously it's seven five is different than seven foot. But why he's different because he will shoot threes right. and he will handle the ball and he will pass the ball. And there's really not a skill that he does not possess because he can move well enough, pass well enough, shoot well enough, block shots obviously, defend well enough. There's not not an inherent weakness in his game, and that's the blessing. The curse is that he's. By the way, he's seven five, and guys like that can have joint issues. Sure, yeah. And guys like that usually tend to be less durable, and it's not their fault. And I've heard some really impressive stuff about Wimbenyana. Again, I was listening to some stuff last night, and they were talking about he does these exercises in the pregame that are just about strengthening his feet. 
Not about not about anything else. Not shooting. Just feet. Just not moving. Just just strengthening the feet. Yeah. Because with big guys like that, that's usually what happens. A lower body injury. Plantar fasciitis. Yeah. And so they're very, or they're excuse me, it's astutely aware of this. And I, the 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 guy he is that the, the way he is trained since the age of twelve is again part of his lore because he has calculated everything as a teenager to be an NBA guy uh, from doing kind of the very American thing of going to kind of a boarding school that's basketball oriented to learning English at an, at an earlier age so that he can be proficient in English because he knows he's going to be playing in the NBA. There are things about him that are just so different than, than other guys. But I almost – you know, I, I don't have a rooting interest in the Spurs, which is where he will end up. I, I don't care one way or the other. But I hope for his sake that he can at least be healthy so we can figure out the basketball side of this because too many guys have had injuries like this. And I almost hope for his sake that he does have a level of success because, again, I'm telling you, regardless of what we in this studio believe, they believe he's the biggest thing in two decades. Yeah. And if he does not deliver something big, he it is going to be very easy for him to be right. labeled a bust around the league. Who who's who gets the second pick? Second pick is Charlotte. Charlotte, okay. So that that's the one I I made me think about it because like ESPN just had a whole thing talking about LeBron and the Memphis Grizzlies. Um and they were interviewing their head coach at the time from Memphis and their GM had said this is when LeBron was right. going to be the number one pick, and everybody knew that LeBron James was going to be the number one pick. Um, Memphis's GM had made a trade deal with the Detroit Pistons that said that they were part of that trade deal was that Memphis was giving up their first round pick unless they got the number one pick. So it was number one pick or bust. They all, they got all the way down to the two to the second pick, and it was going to either be them or Cleveland, uh-huh. and they got picked with number two. So not only did they lose LeBron, they lost their entire first round draft pick because of that trade deal with Detroit, and and then of course LeBron went to Cleveland and became LeBron James, and Memphis, you know, was Memphis Grizzlies at that time. So I, I'll be curious to see how this all pans out, and if you ultimately go back years down the road and like, oh man, Charlotte, goodness, what could have been? Right. Well, literally one card draw away, and it's like. Change your whole franchise. I think or it amounts to nothing. I think it was the 2012 draft. I want to get the facts straight before I say it. This has already happened to Charlotte to a degree. Now the, I think the the Bobcats and Anthony Davis, right? Right. The, yeah. The the saving grace here, why I think it's different, even though uh, obviously the number one. Yes, it did happen in 2012. So and, and to be fair, like Charlotte could have drafted someone else, they didn't. So they still made a bad pick. It didn't have to be this drastic. But 2012, they were the worst team, and they lost the lottery. Yeah. Two New Orleans Hornets, by the way. Uh, right. Ironic. And so they took Anthony Davis, and Charlotte took Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is not in the NBA any longer. Right. The number three pick of that draft was Bradley Beal, who was traded this week, by the way. Yeah. And has been a 30-point scorer in the past in the league. I think he's a three-time All-Star. So – Charlotte still could have taken Beal 
and been great. And Damian Lillard was in that draft. You start, you go down the line, you start to think about, oh man, they missed this guy. Well, yeah, but no one would have picked him where right. you were picking. So it, we kind of get involved in that. And man, they took this guy instead of this guy. Yes, but you got to remember that time. So and so was not a project. It was not possible he would have gone there. No one would have taken him there. Everyone would have messed up. So I only like to do it to a certain degree. If number three is fair for number two, number two could have taken number three. Sure. Uh, and that would have been Bradley Beal. So you're right in that they just missed Wimbanyana. But I think this draft is three people, three main people. And they'll be inevitably, there'll be a couple other all-stars, a couple other guys that start on good teams. There always is. But, but as great as Wimbignana is, I think if you're second or third, you're also good because you're going to get either Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson uh, at two or three. Oh, Scoot Henderson. What yep. could have been for yep. Auburn? Uh, the, the G League has robbed potentially two national championships from Auburn basketball. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I mean, yeah. in, in an ideal, in an players, ideal world, yeah. yes. The, the, most, the two most talented teams I've seen in my lifetime in college basketball did not win the title. Right. So yes. that does not – Wait, what burns me is there was a story yesterday talking about Scoot Henderson, and it was like, you know, Scoot Henderson, once an Auburn lock, would have changed the landscape of college basketball. And I'm like, oh, man. The, the dude You're talking about like a dude a, that would have been at Auburn to, quote-unquote, change the landscape of college basketball. I'm like, God, <laughs> God. Oh, no, it hurts. Yeah, Oof. yeah, it mm. hurts. And it happened with Jalen Green, too. Yeah. Uh, the, the debate between two and three – uh, is where the draft really starts. And, um, again, we'll go complete deep dive tomorrow. But to broach the subject a little bit, the need for Charlotte is at wing. The need for Portland is more at wing. But most teams in the league like Scoot Henderson more than Brandon Miller at two. But one of the teams that appears to not is the Charlotte Hornets. They appear to like Miller more because their stance is LaMelo Ball and Scoot coexisting would be right. a difficult difficult sell for fit. And it, it gets into the question that I will probably ask this question every single draft, every single year of every single major sport we cover. Do you draft need or do you draft best player available? And does it vary depending on who you are and what your situation is? So I asked for this case. Let me. I know you don't know every single thing about Charlotte, but let me give you a basic deal here. They were bad. They've never won a playoff series. <laughs> Their best player is a point guard, a six-seven point guard that is a decent shooter and an incredible passer, who does not play defense. Their their wing was a guy who got uh, in Miles Bridges, who did not play. He was suspended because of. Um, legal problems and their second best player is probably pj washington who's a power forward out of kentucky but they don't have an inherently awesome second best player so with that knowledge let's assume and, and this might be wrong but i'm just saying i'm just telling you the consensus of the league the consensus of the league is scoot is maybe two percent better than brand miller he is for for more people than not he is the second best player in the draft but brandon miller is the third best player so do you take the guy that is maybe 1%, 2% better, that is a better overall player but not your fit, or do you take the guy that is still very good but fills your need better? So in that situation, I'm going to fill the need because if it's if – it's, 
if there was a huge gap between Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller that you could like a very identifiable gap of talent, then I would be a little more hesitant. But if it's if it's that close, then you got to go with your need, um, because I mean you you can't miss either way. So or at least you think you can't miss right. either way. So I would rather go with need where I, I can get immediate impact out of this player than bring this other guy in and now I'm going to have to figure out the roster and we may have to get rid of somebody or we may have to get rid of a good player just to get this guy in. So in that case is it it's need. So but it's got to be a huge gap because uh, again uh, we're we're talking about the Spurs in, in uh Wamanyana. That is Wimanyana. Yeah. Wimanyana. Yeah. So, you know, Obviously, they're you know you're looking at talent gap. All right. Well, what if, what if they get the first people? They don't need. I don't need a center. I, I've already got a seven foot center that is really good. So we're going to pass on him because I don't need it. No, you take him if it, if he is a generational player, you take him. Um, so in that in those cases, yeah, you it just it's what you have to do. But uh, in that case where there's like A and B that are that close, then you just go with position of need of the two of them. Yeah, I, I, if the only differentiator between them is one might be 2% better and one fills a need better, then yeah, I'm going to go with the guy that fills the need better. Um, I, I feel like with it would also depend on the sport, right? Because in a sport like football that yeah. has a, a much bigger free agency, uh, I'm not going to say much bigger free agency, but a bigger player pool, you can kind of get guys that fill your need more in free agency but you only have one shot at certain guys in the draft. And then you've got things like a salary cap to consider in the NFL as well. So I, if with football, I think I would go best player available and kind of fill needs in free agency because I feel like it's more doable. With basketball, I mean, it, it's, there's so fewer players. You know, there's 40 less players to a team, uh, some number around yeah. that. So it, that's really interesting. Also, with this situation, it bears noting – there are red flags around Brandon Miller. He's yes. he's been a part of one particular scandal that we've talked about ad nauseum on this show, and he's also not been very good on a microphone a couple of times. Uh, in in a much less serious context, said today that Paul George was his greatest player of all time. Yeah, Paul George was the goat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know maybe that by itself isn't a red flag, but that on top of everything else, and you go, ah, do I want this kid? Uh, on my team, and I, obviously that one quote is not going to knock him down, but yeah, there, context is everything, right? And the context is Brandon Miller has some things that would give me pause as, as a, a general manager of an NBA team. Yeah, they said early on that, that saw more around the combine time timeline that some teams were kind of put off on, on some of the answers he gave about the investigation and, and, and about all that, and it's been, been better since. Charlotte, Charlotte, uh, man. Um, I feel like since Michael Jordan took over that team, there have been a couple of questionable decisions. Oh, there's been all of them. I mean, all of them. Now, now there's and yet he's still going to turn a two and a half billion dollar profit right. off of selling the team. Impact of sports growth. Um, now Jordan has had a failed ownership from the point of of wins and losses and success jj was telling me the other day there's a column written in charlotte about um, how they had really seen incredible community support numbers go up and that community outreach was at an all-time high with the charlotte franchise and 
and that there were some really some underlying metrics that were like MJ boosted interest and boosted right. community support and, and that sort of thing. So from that standpoint of it, which again is way way below the what people are going to talk about at the end of the day, but he did not fail in every single area you could fail in. He failed at the most important thing and the most relevant thing, but he did not fail in some other secondary stuff. But by all accounts, the success on the court was a failure. He is going to make this pick, by the way. Uh, the, he is he is outgoing as a full as a majority owner. He will still be a minority owner of the Hornets. But I think this is kind of like his last big decision he's going to make. And I really think he's taken Miller. Um, I was under the again. I, I'm under the impression from everything I've I've listened to that Scoot is liked by more teams than, than Miller, but Charlotte has liked Miller more than, than Scoot throughout the process. Scoot wowed them at a workout a week or two ago and started to change the pendulum a little bit, kind of flipped it towards maybe they will take Scoot. And proof of that is I think either Monday or Sunday they had them both in again. They had them both for one last workout which told me they really are trying to fight through a decision here. They don't know. Can we just get them to play horse against each right, other right. and the winner gets picked second? But but that resulted in Woj going on ESPN last night and basically saying that Charlotte's – one of his, like, Wojisms, Charlotte is tantalized by, by Brandon <laughs> Miller, basically. So I think they're taking Miller at two. And it's more – again, that's a fit thing. It's a need thing. I think as you guys laid out – it, in my opinion, it's close. I, I, for all the teams that still like Scoot over Miller, I still think it's close. I don't think that it's, you know, someone and a Hall of Famer versus a bench guy, you know, in their minds, or a All Star versus a, a a non-starter. I don't think it's egregious. But the thing with Scoot that's so impressive, if you've ever watched tape on him, is he is six foot two, of just absolute intensity and athleticism and muscle he's built about like a linebacker yeah he's about as built as it gets for someone that's going to play point guard play guard in the NBA right. now again he's not overly tall so that's one thing that's and, why Bruce Pearl wanted him. <laughs> and the most relevant thing I think for why he might be limited in the NBA although I don't think overall it'd be limited is that he is not a great shooter that if you can, I think the site says like twenty seven point five percent from three. Really, it was thirty one. If you factor in the other like showcase games that didn't quote count towards the Knights G League Knights regular game, so he shot. It was a thirty one percent three point shooter, essentially thirty two percent three point shooter this past year, which is not going to be good enough in the NBA if that's what it is. Now he is, and I watched video on this, and now here I am. I've deep dive. I said I wouldn't, and I did. I couldn't. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, his float game is good, and his mid-range game is good. And I've watched, and I've stared at the shooting form, and I, I think it's it's savable, salvageable. I, I think that yeah. I do not think it's without hope. So I do think he can get to a level where he becomes a respectable shooter. But he is an athletic freak, and he has that mentality of that that you need. Like he's not going to shy away from the moment. He's going to use whatever physicality and athleticism he's got. Well, you know, when you're looking at two or three, you, either you could end up with a Sam Bowie or a Michael Jordan. Uh, oh, it's that all. Yeah. <laughs> no, no pressure there, huh? 
Yeah. People people don't people forget that Michael Jordan was the third pick. And I don't well, no. Not if you're a huge well, NBA person. That's well, it was as famous as it gets. Well, Hakeem, Hakeem Elijah Hakeem Elijah yeah. went one to the Which Rockets. Was fair. And then and then the uh, Portland Trailblazers took Sam Bowie out of Kentucky with the second pick, which well, then Port- gave the Bulls Michael Jordan. I'll give you another one that happened. It was more recent. Portland did the same damn thing. They took Brandon Roy, and right. Seattle took Kevin Durant. <clears throat> nah, yeah, mm-hmm. not as egregious as the one before, but still would have rather had would have rather rather had KD. Yeah. And, and, and then you, what's crazy? You look at this that eighty four draft, which was so famous. Uh, because I so the the Bulls took Jordan third overall because the Trailblazer idiot fools got Sam Bowie, <laughs> but then the Dallas Mavericks took Sam Perkins at four, which left the 76ers to take Charles Barkley. So Akeem Olajuwon Hall of Famer, Sam Bowie number two nothing, Michael Jordan at three Hall of Famer, Sam Perkins at four nothing. I wasn't nothing. Played but, twenty years in the league. Well, sure, but he's yeah. not a Hall of Famer, right? Um, and, and then at fifth Charles Barkley, Hall of Famer, right? I mean, that's crazy, and that's all within the realm of of deep regret. Because again, if if <laughs> if you, Barkley's taken fifteenth, then it's like, oh, well, you can't really blame the top sure. three because that no one would have done that there. But all of those get to the point of of saying, man, you you could have had, as you said, a Hall of Famer, and with Barkley too. I mean, again, the the numbers he had. Obviously, we we don't have to. Uh, remind people of that. Bowie was just awful, though, because he got hurt and he had no career. Right. I mean, again, like I said, at least Perkins. I I went back and looked at. It. He was a sixteen and eight guy for about seven seasons, and sure. then he still continued the league for a while. Right. But uh, then you have Barkley there. That's what twenty five and twelve. Yeah. For a long period of time. So, I mean, you you had a long. <laughs> You like to be an odd number there. You, you did not want to be an even number in that Well, because, yeah, shoot. Because even after Barkley, uh, the Washington Bullets, they were the Washington Bullets at the time. They took Melvin Turpin at six, which then San Antonio Spurs, they gave them Alvin Robertson, who was a Hall of Famer. Yeah. D. So yeah. You, you, you literally threw the – Odd numbers. Odd numbers. Number one is a Hall of Famer, three a Hall of Famer, five a Hall of Famer, seven a Hall of Famer. Everybody in between, you know, was Sam Perkins. Yes, had a great year. I don't even know who the heck Melvin Turpin is. I I don't know that I I've admit heard of him. I don't know either. And then of course Sam Bowie. That's just the laughable thing of how yeah. they took Bowie over Michael Jordan. So again, going back to what we're talking about, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and and even with the Spurs with the number one pick, sure, maybe he's going to be a generational talent like LeBron or like a, a Michael Jordan or or somebody. Sure, maybe you don't know that. But let's just say he is. However, at two and three, you may have the next Michael Jordan potentially. Are you gonna, you know, are you gonna be, are you gonna take the next Sam Bowie, or are you gonna take the next Michael Jordan? I don't know. But you just don't know until it all plays out. That's the, that's the thing with, with drafts. You you just don't know. That's what why you we do. scrutinize over. Oh yeah. We have time for one more phone call before we go to our uh, timeout to end the hour. So 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. Next up on the Auburn Bank phone line, Anthony from Auburn. Anthony joins us now. Anthony, how are you doing? Doing good. I got two quick things there. Sure. You know, speaking of uh, Sam Perkins, I'm not mistaken, didn't he play 20 years in the NBA? Yeah, I think he played officially like 18, but yeah, it was a long time, very long time. 
So it was really nice paychecks over a period of time. If I'm not mistaken, I thought I saw him in a Lakers uniform towards the end of his career, probably getting a championship ring on his finger, did he not? So I remember his last year he was in Indiana playing the Lakers in the NBA Finals. I don't know if he actually was a Laker he towards was, the I, end there. Yeah, he was, he was with the Lakers from 90 to 93. Okay, so it was earlier, much earlier. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so he didn't get a ring on his finger at that time then. Uh, okay. Maybe the, no, no, nah, yeah, I don't think uh, so. No, I'm not. I'm not showing so. him with the title. Late '80s, so yeah, just missed I, it. Uh, okay, wait a minute. He was with the Lakers in the late '80s, right? No, 90, 90 to '93. Yeah, ninety ninety three. Okay. So he only had one playoff run with Lakers. That nineteen ninety oh, okay. season, I think they went to the finals and lost. Yeah, because that's when he came in when Kareem had retired, and I thought he got it. Yeah, come in around that time, yeah. but just didn't quite get the ring. But still, I mean, if you get eighteen or. Uh, 20 years in that kind of profession, I, I speak volumes. So I guess he was maybe he was a little something anyway. But one other thing I have for y'all, and this ain't got anything to do with sports. What do y'all think about those guys that got in that little semi submarine? Look, something that looked like a something looked like a hot water heater. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, no pun intended, but uh, you know, uh, with a joystick, a PlayStation joystick out of one of these uh, game places, and, and went. Uh, what, some two miles or three miles deep in the ocean? I mean, uh, what in the world do you make of that? And they paid almost a, what, a quarter of a million? Uh, $250,000 yeah, per person to get on there? I mean, somebody got that kind of money to experiment with something that's not proven. I mean, why not just uh, call the Navy up and say, hey, look, we'll make a, do- uh, excuse me, a donation to the uh, United States Navy or something. We'd like to uh, take a trip on your submarine or something. Then to do something that stupid. Well, well here's, the, here's the thing, though. Uh, conventional military submarines like the Navy has, they don't even go that deep. So, oh, wow. Yeah, they, that's why that's why ha- this is so problematic. It's, it's not easy to go get this. It's not thing. easy. They, they, there's nothing right now that is currently available that can just go down there and get them. It, they are that deep. They are that deep that there's nothing that can go and get them. So you're telling me that somebody decided to experiment with something that wasn't proven to go that deep, something that the military can't even do? I mean, how asinine is that? Well, and and so that's one of the big things that's talked about. And there, the the company that runs that, apparently, there had many many people had warned them that this is not a good idea. That this thing is kind of jerry rigged, and there's just a lot of different things that were not safe and had not been approved. But by gosh, they were going to do it anyway, and people were going to. You had these billion. There's two billionaires on that sub right now that paid that money. One of them's got his son with him. But I, I was just reading a story. So uh, there's a there's a show um, that comes on uh, uh, Expedition Unknown, and they, they travel right. all around it. Josh Gates is the uh, host of that. Right. Josh Gates has been on that sub and has actually done a dive on that sub to a certain depth, and it was all, all to get ready for them to go down to the Titanic and film for that show. Right. It was so bad and so sketchy that he scrapped it and would not do it. He, he said there were so many problems with it and the safety, everything, he just he wouldn't do it. And so they've actually scrapped a TV show because of the safety on that. Uh, but there are still people who are getting on it and going all the way down there. to Yeah, 2.6 miles, I think. It's like 12,500 feet below the surface of the ocean Good. Right. to, go, know, to I- go look at a shipwreck. You know, I applaud anybody that's, uh, you know, trying to invent different things and whatnot, you know, as far as technology has advanced and trying to explore uh, certain places. But, I mean, you know, to go on the deep end like that with what they did, just totally out of this world. But uh, I don't know. I guess uh, somebody got to try it and maybe the next person will uh, study that and learn from it and build something that will do exactly that. I appreciate it, guys. 
Appreciate it, Not Anthony. Not a problem. That is I, Anthony from Auburn. And, and the thing is, and yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, you you take you take those risks, but I mean, you, you go back and think about flight, and it's like the the first people that started like flying airplanes, you know, with the the Wright brothers and whoever, you know, right after that. But you know, they're flying these things; they're getting off the ground, and there's no safety features or anything. And I mean, a lot of them crashed and died until they started eventually getting better and better at making that technology. Maybe we will eventually have that type of technology that you can safely go to those depths and be fine. Uh, but right yeah. now, apparently, it's an issue. Now, the other thing I've seen, apparently, there is a safety feature on that that is supposed to allow that thing to float back to the surface. So they're thinking they're stuck. They think they got wedged into something or stuck because there's supposed to be some kind of inflatable somethings on that that will cause it to come back to the surface in the case of a problem, but oh well, apparently, but that doesn't work if a giant beastie swallows you. Apparently, or it ain't working. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it does. stay out of the ocean. They have been <laughs> swallowed by Moby Dick. We're not allowed. We're not supposed to be in the ocean. Stay out of the ocean. <laughs> oh man, you yeah, know we we laugh, but that was uh, we've been on that since Monday. This is now third straight day. I, you know what? I bet it get, comes up tomorrow too. <laughs> What's freaky is well, when t- you, tomorrow morning is when they're supposed to run out of air. Yeah. So that's what's freaky that's is harrowing. when you look at it. I the the analogy of it looking like a hot water heater is perfect. I, I hadn't <laughs> even thought about that. Yeah. But uh, they it's like the size of a minivan, and these people are like squished. And there's five people in there, and they're basically sitting like hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder. And I mean, you just imagine what's happening in that thing with those people. Ah, it's just claustrophobic and no air. It's just that's just. Terrifying. Awful. Terrifying. Stay out beyond. of the ocean. Out of time for hour number two. When we come back in hour number three, a wacky Wednesday coming up. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. And, hey, look, another day and another set of clouds moving into the area. And Looking a little dirty and nasty outside. Yeah. Uh, in case anyone was wondering, uh, Thunder's Chickens practice did not happen last night. That was some intense, like, 30, 30 minutes to an hour of just banded rain. Just, fall, yeah. I mean, falling from the sky like all rain does. But it just in a in a more brutal way, falling from the sky, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't get how, um, how we've had it so often. I know that you go through periods of, of thunderstorm activity. I get it. But we had one entire year where we had like five cancellations. I'm not exaggerating yeah. that whatsoever. Yeah. It was it was play a week, get suspended, get pushed back a week, play a week, get pushed back a week. I mean, we were going into football season. Yeah. <laughs> one year. I mean, it oh, was wow. it was incredible. And that's essentially, by the way, that's why 
we did not end up playing this week. We were not. We were supposed to play. We got pushed back a week because the other uh, other league season got pushed back so late. It's almost like you should have a backup day. It's right. like, hey, designate a date like midway point in the season to make up games, and then at the end of the season make up games yeah. so that you don't have to make it. You know, push it back four or five, six weeks by right. that time. So, but we did not end up getting a practice last night. But next Tuesday still figures to be opening day. We're going to compete. Yeah. That's all we're going to do. We're going to compete. All right. It's time now. <laughs> Brand enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I, it took me a second, but I got there. Are we? Is it too soon to start to put some Gus audio in there and his little Gus-isms and be like, yeah, we're just getting better every we're day? Just, we're yeah. just getting better. Yeah. Just, just, is it too soon for that? I don't know. We might need good, a few more years. Good day of practice. Yeah, right. need the, like, boys, the boys are flying around out there. <laughs> Need like one big God, I love Gus. One big Auburn season, then we can go ahead and bring back all the all the Gus isms. Everyone won't want to turn turn off the radio, uh, but we certainly hope you stay tuned right now because we're gonna do as we do a lot of Wednesdays, especially in the off season. Time to get wacky. Time to get wacky. Sometimes the conversation can go off the tracks. It's time for Wacky Wednesday. All right, Wacky Wednesday. This Wednesday. No sodas involved. No soda. Last time, what well, last two weeks we had gone soda because the week before we'd done the blind taste test with all the cokes and Dr. Right. peppers and that sort of thing. So we're going to take a break from consuming we're, we're, large amounts of liquid by the end of the we're day. We're going to fill our bodies with knowledge, and uh, mm-hmm. this stuff is going to these. This is factual stuff, but it's just hard to believe stuff. Yes. All right. You ready, so, Tom? You take it away. All right. Well, so the first one we're going to talk about here is uh, everybody is used to your normal dinner utensils and things like yep. that. All right. I like dinner. Sure. And you need to eat with utensils yeah. most of the time. Well, the use of forks at one time was considered sacrilegious. Is this like some sort of medieval witch craft thing? Not or? really. Okay. So the widely used eating utensil was once seen as offensive to God when it was first introduced in Italy in the 11th century. Oddly enough, people used to eat with their fingers. The number of fingers used for eating distinguished the upper class from the lower class. Three fingers were considered to be good manners. The oldest folks were discovered or the oldest forks were discovered in Turkey dating back to the 4th millennium BC but it was likely that they were only used as tools. The church in Italy argued that God had created humans with fingers so that they could eat God's food but this did not stop the production of the expensive fork sometimes made of gold for wealthy families. So but it never discerned like how so it said three fingers was like for wealthy the wealthy people used three fingers that was good manners if you ate your food with just the three fingers you know you you're a you were a, a a crazy person if you just took a whole handful of food and stuffed it in your mouth so you used three fingers to da- <laughs> well, to daintily pick your food up and place it in your mouth but that but forks were forks were sacrilegious god god did not intend us to eat with forks so they said That's um what they said yeah, I, the thing is, <laughs> I, okay, I can kind of see how, okay, if you use the entire hand, like for certain foods, you may need it. But like for smaller stuff, you don't need the whole hand, I guess, question mark. But forks are just easier. I no. I don't know. I don't need to really break this down. No. This was obviously lunacy. But, but 
That's the way they thought back in the day. Yeah. Forks were sacrilegious. All right. How about this one? This is kind of a funny one. I I almost wish I could go back in time and be here for this. President Andrew Jackson's pet parrot had to be removed from his funeral because it was swearing. (laughs) I I have heard this before. I have heard this before. During President Andrew Jackson's funeral in 1845, his pet parrot began speaking obscenities and had to be removed. The parrot became excited while the crowd was gathering and began to swear, disturbing the mourning people. The bird was promptly escorted out as people were both in awe and horrified at the words coming out of the parrot's mouth. (laughs) I would be in awe. That just what I want to know is what words was Andrew Jackson teaching that parrot? Right. <laughs> yeah, he he had a he had I guess he had a mouth in private. He uh, had to get some some stress on uh, his chest. Probably wanted more than a cracker, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, parrots are. Do, have you ever been interested in a parrot, Tom? <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in the ones that uh. The ones that talk that like right make the that is that's fascinating to me. But because then you can have I like don't a, want one because then you can just have like a conversation with with yeah. a parrot and yeah. have it repeat stuff back to you and apparently swear words <laughs> in, yeah, in that apparently. case. Uh, how about this one? Before alarm clocks, people were hired to wake up others by shooting dried peas at their window. Oh, not dried your, peas! Not your typical wake up call. The quote unquote knocker upper was a common sight in Britain before 1970, so not that long ago. They would use long sticks like fishing poles or soft hammers to tap on windows as a wake-up call or used pea shooters in which they blow in which they blow dried peas up at the window of the sleeper. One problem these employees uh, employees faced was waking up people uh, for free because the noise they made would inadvertently wake up the neighbors who did not pay. So you would pay money for people to come and shoot peas at your window to wake you up. But then it might wake up other people who had Did it not have paid. a time period for when this existed? It just said it just said it was a common sight in Britain before nineteen seventy. That's dangerously close to now. Yeah, yeah. Like nineteen forties or fifties, people were like, All right, rise and shine, here's some dried peas. Yep. I that surely not I don't know. That's I mean, I don't know. That is, that is odd. Yeah. That's surely odd. knock her upper. Uh, everybody is familiar with Mary Shelley, the author? Uh, you heard yeah, she wrote Frankenstein. Exactly. Good. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Mary Shelley kept the heart of her dead husband in her desk. Oh. Well, that's nice. Why? Uh, <laughs> maybe it says here, maybe the author intended for this to be some sort of a metaphor, but a truly smelly metaphor, if, if that... Everyone grieves differently. When Mary Shelley's husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, was 29 years old, he drowned while out on his boat during a storm. While his remains were buried in the Protestant cemetery in Rome, Mary kept her husband's heart wrapped up and carried it with her almost everywhere. When she passed away, the heart was found in her desk, wrapped in one of his final poems, Adonis. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. And, well, okay. Well, I mean, apparently she's a creepy woman for the stuff she wrote. Well, I was about to say... So the good, good segue here for just a moment. We had a nice conversation. Uh, I don't know what you guys are looking at, but <laughs> I, I've seen the next one on Tom's screen, and I'm not a fan. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get there in a second. We had a nice conversation before the show today about Stephen King because just yeah, again, alluded yeah. to I saw the Boogeyman last night um, in theaters, and that's we another, talk about novels and authors right. and things like that around the office frequently. Uh, yeah, totally every day. <laughs> 
Uh, and so King is obviously just known so much for the horror we aspect right. of it. But it's like, how do you think about something that dark and disturbed that frequently? Like, it's it's honestly, it's impressive. It's also a little concerning. You know, I mean, because he's a master of it. He's been doing it since right. the late 70s. We were we were looking up, and we, we know about it because even The Shining as a movie came out around 1980. And that's still to date one of the most famous horror movies. But it's just like the rate in which he was churning these things out. He has sixty something novels in forty four ish years. Right. He's doing two two and three novels a lot of these years. And it's just like, dude, how about what's you know, I mean, and I know there's a few that aren't right. like absolute horror or, or too dark, but it's like, man, oh man, that's just a lot of just freaky stuff. For extended periods of time, it's made him very profitable, very famous. But yep. I'm just saying, like, you have to be wired a little differently to do it for that long at that rate and be that dark. Yep. Well, this next one might leave a bad taste in your mouth. No, Yo. I. Oh, thank you. No, I've had enough of this. Huh? Was done. Met my monthly quota. Uh, well, when you hear this, you would gladly drink a ranch dressing soda. Okay. We'll see. All right, go ahead. All right, urine was used okay, as mouthwash yep. by the ancient Romans. As mouthwash? Yes. And that's what as, I did not like. Yeah, human urine was so valuable to ancient Romans that it was collected from public urinals and even taxed when sold. Urine was used for many purpose, purposes, but most amusingly, it was used for dental hygiene. Romans used urine to clean and whiten their teeth, the active ingredient being ammonia, which yeah. is a proven stain remover. Uh, so, yeah. So they weren't wash without wash, logic. Wash, no, wash your mouth out with pee. But it doesn't <laughs> seem worth it at the end of the day. Just not, not would would not do. Thank no. the good Lord for the invention of toothpaste. Yeah, yeah. There was a eighth grade. I had an eighth grade teacher that fake drank pee on us one day, and uh, was talking about how it was sterile. Or everything, and then yeah, and that's, then, that's uh, from it, dodgeball. It is like dodgeball. the science of sound. Yeah. This is from dodgeball. Uh, the line from dodgeball is uh-huh. like, I drink my own urine, and, and uh, <laughs> then she sterile went for it. I like the taste, and everyone was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's sure enough." Not kidding. Uh, she, um, she probably would have been down for the for the uh, the mouthwash then. Uh, oh how about this one? There are more tigers in captivity in the U.S. than the wild worldwide. I, th- I think I've heard that really? before. That doesn't surprise me. Do we me. have any numbers there? I, I do have numbers okay. here. Based on the best available data, the World Wildlife Fund and Global Tiger Forum estimate that around 3,890 tigers exist in the wild today. According to the U.S. government and conservation groups, around 5,000 to 10,000 tigers are privately owned in the U.S. Oh, okay. See, I, okay, does 3,800 feel like a small number to you for the entire world? Oh, that's, that's like endangered. That's endangered. That's major, yeah. majorly yeah, endangered. I was about to say, I would have guessed, I'll tell myself, to be quite frank with you, I was thinking that number was going to be like 100,000. Right, like or, or or something in the hundreds of thousands, because I was thinking, oh my god, all these countries, like mm-hmm. even something like Australia. I mean, surely there's going to be a lot, or around rain. I just like anywhere there'd be a lot, and there's thirty eight hundred apparently. Well, that's in the wild. So, what are you defining as wild? 
just just like mean, natural, in not in natural natural habitat. They're natural roaming. They are just the wild tigers in their natural habitat, which would be like Africa, uh, wherever Asia. I think Asia, has tigers. Yeah, yeah, Asia, basically Asia, Africa are about the only. Okay, so only in those regions and only South in particular America, parts of maybe? those regions. I don't know that there's there's big cats in South America, but I don't think there's tigers. I, I think tigers are strictly like Asia and Africa. I certainly don't know. I but, don't know. I mean, obviously, but I don't but, know. but as of this, it still feels small to me. But. As of this, there are three thousand eight hundred and ninety tigers that exist in the wild, natural, just wild tigers. Where they are supposed to be, right? Exactly. Exactly where they. <laughs> but in the U.S., there are around five thousand to ten thousand tigers privately owned. And how many did Joe Exotic have? Yeah. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I Shout out to the Tiger King, man. Right, right. LSU has one of those 10,000 tigers. Yeah. yeah. So, we've got do. a tiger in a painting on the wall over here. Yeah, I don't know if that counts for the numbers. It but, doesn't, but and, you know, we've got I'd one. be far more concerned well, if it was a lot. Well, well, Ryan, this next one, this is right up right up your alley since you're a lover of the weather. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, it's not look good outside no. right now. Yeah. Yeah, these clouds probably weigh more if I had to guess. But oh, they're not. It's, it's more in clouds now. Oh, it was uh, rain. Poor, yeah. Yeah. well, <laughs> a, a typical cumulus cloud weighs about 1.1 million pounds. Excuse me? <laughs> it's a lot of pounds. It's a lot of pounds for a cloud. It, so a, a, cloud, a cloud is just evaporated water that's condensed with itself, right? And then when enough of it condenses... It becomes water again, and that's what causes rain, oh. right? That's the water cycle. So yeah. it makes sense that like water weighs that much. I guess evaporated yeah. water would still maintain a lot well, of so that weight. Yeah. Well, so to explain this, so Peggy Lamone, a senior scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, did the math uh, in 2013. According to Lamone, an average cumulus cloud, and these are the big fluffy ones that you typically see on a big on a sunny day has a water density of half a gram per cubic meter and a volume of 1 billion cubic meters. When you calculate the cloud's total water content, you end up with 500 million grams of water, or about 1.1 million pounds. Golly. I'm so smart. I would have never known that. Again, I don't know any of this. People just see a big fluffy cloud in the sky. Hey, shout out to the to the magic school bus for teaching me the water cycle. Again, that thing weighs one point one million pounds. I'm glad you're not asking us because I feel like if if I was JJ, you'd be asking, and JJ would be giving incredibly dumb answers. (laughs) I too, right now, would be giving incredibly dumb answers to all this because I would have. I don't know what I would have said. It would not have been that though. How long do you think it takes a pineapple to grow? Okay, see, now he's going to ask me questions now. How? I don't know. It takes two years. Okay, I was going to guess months, but okay. Well, you can, but it takes 18 to 36 months. <laughs> fair. <laughs> Tough but fair. It takes about 18 to 36 months from the time they are planted for a pineapple plants to yield fruit that you can harvest and consume. So anybody out there that wants to grow pineapples, give yourself two years. That is a... Uh that's a healthy period of time, yep. for sure. Let's do one more, and we'll take a break, take a midway point Absolutely. Break. China, 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 China <laughs> used more cement in three years between 2011 and 2013 than the U.S. did in the entire 20th century. Say that one more time. China uh-huh. <laughs> used more cement in three years between 2011 and 2013 than the U.S. did in the entire 20th century. Wrong. 
<laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, 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 this factoid is so staggering, Bill Gates once blogged about it after historian Vaclav Smil featured the statistic in his book, Making the Modern World Materials and Dematerialization. According to estimates from the U.S. Geological Survey, the U.S. used 4.5 gigatons of cement between 1901 and 2000. All right, 4.5 gigatons, gigatons of cement yeah. between 1901 and 2000. Yep, 100 years. Compare that with the 6.6 gigatons of cement China used between 2011 and 2013, according to data from the International Cement Review. I did not know there was any such thing as the International <laughs> Cement Review. International Speaking cement. of Wacky Wednesday, did you know <laughs> there was an international the there was an international cement review? So do you know the uh, China used six point six gigatons between twenty eleven and twenty thirteen. The US used four point five in a hundred years. Do you know the meme of Brian Windhorse last year? What's going on in Utah? Yeah, it's pointing, well, it's pointing like pointing Why straight at the ceiling. <laughs> Why would they do that? What's going on in Utah? Now I ask, what's going on in China? Oh. Why, why, why would we well, do that? Again, we just used a sound clip of a guy who probably asked that question a lot. <laughs> we're going to take a time out here in hour number three. We're having some fun on this Wacky Wednesday. Stay tuned. More fun after the break. Attention, please. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is. Hi, my name is. My name is. Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Now back to the multi time Abbey Award winning Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lloyd, Tom Peavy, Brant Daughtry with you here on this Wednesday. The multi-Abbey winning Sports Call. And Absolutely. if there's anything that could get us another Abbey, it's talking about ancient Romans using urine to wash their mouths out. Absolutely. It's everyone's favorite. Winner, winner, chicken yeah. dinner. Yeah. No, if you're uh, just... Does any, other, does any other sports talk show in the area do this? I think not. I don't think so. No. And here's what we're doing. Sometimes the conversation can go off the tracks. It's time for Wacky Wednesday. So we're having a Wacky Wednesday right now. We've been going through some strange facts, uh, most of them from the past. But, uh, yeah, a good number of fun ones here. Oh, Tom's yeah. already given us, I don't know, seven or eight. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's keep we'll going. Keep it Did you know that cheetahs cannot roar? Oh. Yeah, they can only meow like a domestic house cat. Oh, that that loses them. That loses them a little street cred. It does. Uh, as Stephen Mills explained in the BBC Wildlife Magazine, only four big cats can roar: lions, tigers, leopards, and jaguars. These species, all of which belong to the Panthera genus, have a ligament in their voice box that can be stretched to create a larger sound-producing passage and thus a wider range of pitch. 
And small cats like cheetahs, the fixed structure in their voice box limits the range of sounds they can produce. While they can purr continuously, they cannot roar. So you will never hear a cheetah roar. They are the fastest, correct? They are the, they fastest. Are the fastest. Now, again, I know we're not going to have numbers on this. I'm now fa- I don't believe... There's only 3,900 tires in the wild. <laughs> I, that just seems such a low number. Anyway, I don't know. Huh? There are, I just, are there the, the other big cats? Are there more of them? It's just the, the, the only ones that can roar, the, the ones that I mentioned. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, I was going back to the numerical figure of, like, are there more than 3,900 cheetahs in the uh, wild? Well, I mean, you got cheetahs, you got um, lynx and other, but of course, that's smaller than a cheetah. Bobcats. Bobcats are about Sim- they're similar the size, to a lynx. They're like the size of a big house cat. So anyway, moving big on. Bobcat. Uh, hey, uh, take a quick guess. What is the closest U.S. state to the continent of Africa? Uh, uh, Florida or California? I don't know if it's the weird thing. Where, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the weird thing yeah. where it's closer over there. Or Hawaii? Would that be Hawaii? Florida know. or Hawaii? Yeah, I'm going to go Or Hawaii. neither. None of the... Alaska? Above. No. 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 Those know. are all getting... You see, uh, when you're talking Hawaii and all, you're getting close to Asia before you yeah, get to Africa. Right. But, uh, no, the easternmost point in the contiguous U.S. is a peninsula called West Cottyhead in Lubeck, Maine. So why is it called West? Have they? Is that on the Well, because too? it's it's probably west of East Cottyhead, if I had to guess. I don't know. <laughs> but if it's but if it's the most eastern point in the U.S., I don't know. It can't. Whatever. But I don't it, know. But the easternmost point in the contiguous U.S. is a peninsula called West Cottyhead in Lubeck, Maine, located about three thousand one hundred and fifty-four miles from El Bedouza, Morocco. West Cottyhead is also the point in the U.S. that's closest to Africa. So yeah, I, I mean, I, to be fair, that, that the interesting yeah. fact could have just been like, hey, what's the most eastern point in the U.S.? Because sure. I wouldn't have known that either, or but, I wouldn't have been that particular but, with it for sure. But yeah, the closest to Africa is in Maine. How about that? Maine's got that going for it. That's right. Uh, <laughs> let's see. For some reason, I think that I've read this one before, but it's very timely now. Okay. Because of what we've talked about with the little submarine that is yeah. lost on the Titanic. A woman named Violet Jessup survived the sinking of both the Titanic and its sister ship, the Britannic. I've read this before. Please continue. This is fat. I've, I, we had an office conversation about this. Please continue, though. Nicknamed Miss Unsinkable, Jessup was a stewardess and nurse on the White Star Line's trio of Olympic-class passenger ships. In addition to surviving the Titanic and the Britannic disasters, Jessup was also aboard the trio's third sister ship, the Olympic, when it collided with a British warship in 1911. You know what it is, Tom? We've we've had that on the... Uh, there was a Wacky Wednesday that I talked yes, about. That, that. that came up that time. That's when it was. I, and the only reason I'm reading it now is because it's timely with what's going right. on I, at the Titanic at the moment. Because, I feel like, like I said earlier... Stay away from the ocean. <laughs> With that woman, though, it's like you got to be put on a list. Like you're not getting on our ship. You're not. I don't care. It's not happening again. Because that was twice that the ship went all the way down. You said the third time the ship. Uh, what happened the third time there? It hit a war. It collided with a warship. 
But it just didn't sink. It didn't sink. It just collided. So she was on two that sank and one that collided with a warship. And also the gall that she had to keep getting on those things. <laughs> like, are you not it's just the audacity <laughs> to keep getting on boats? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> how are you not freaked out by then? If if yeah. if I if I survive two of anything that's that close to death and that high of a probability of death, I'm not doing it a third time. No, I'm not striking out. Well, I mean, if you're first, if you're first the Titanic, it's like yeah, I'm not getting on another ship. Yeah, I, she it, did uh, no. again, and it sunk, and again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah that that will never not be funny to me. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> this this next one is just interesting because it's a timeline thing. So people don't realize like timelines on how certain things are close to other events that you just imagine sure. they're very par- what far is it, apart is it Anne frank and martin luther king jr were born on the same day something weird like that and barbara walters okay wow barbara that might be one that comes up here in just a second oh kind of funny that you yeah, said nice that. brant hey yeah. look at me um the holy roman empire still existed when the u.s was founded oh yeah. So the, in, into the late 1700s? Yep. On July 4th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to declare their independence from Great Britain. Great Britain. Great Britain. Them yeah, too. And create the United States of America. It wasn't until three decades later that the Holy Roman Empire was dissolved when the last Holy Roman Emperor, Francis II, abdicated his throne in 1806 following a military defeat by the French under Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, I, I again, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah, that well, that's why it's wacky Wednesday. Yeah. The Holy Roll, the Holy Roman <laughs> Empire. I think you had a flub. I remember you called Holy them the Holy Rolling Empire. Holy <laughs> Rolling, <very> funny. <laughs> like we're rolling. Holy Rolling Empires. But yeah, what does it say? Three, three decades after the founding of the U.S., the Holy Roman Empire was dissolved. So man, it's about eighteen hundred. Yeah, this is another crazy timeline one. More time. Everybody know what Stegosaurus is. We're, this is dealing with dinosaurs. Everybody knows. Dinosaur, everybody yeah. knows what a Tyrannosaurus Rex is. Absolutely. Stegosaurus, familiar from yes. the kids. The, the big one. Yeah. That, that with the it's really the long big, plates. With the big plates yeah. across the oh, top. Absolutely. Those plates. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, more time separates Tyrannosaurus Rex from Stegosaurus than T Rex from humans today. Let me repeat. More time separates all right, Tyrannosaurus Rex and Stegosaurus, the timeline between those two existing is more than the timeline. There's between, a wider a wider more, yeah, a period wider of time between those two than between T Rex and us. us today. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So Stegosaurus roamed the Earth about hundred and fifty million years ago during the Jurassic period of the Mesozoic era or Age of Dinosaurs. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, Stegosaurus had already been extinct for approximately 80 million years when Cretaceous dinosaurs such as Tyrannosaurus rex first first appeared about 67 million years ago. So in short, 80 million years separated Stegosaurus from T-Rex, while 67 million years separates T-Rex from humans. Pretty mind-blowing difference of 20 million years. So... When I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, there was this documentary, speaking of BBC earlier, Walking with Dinosaurs. Did anyone watch that? No. So it was like a six part. Okay. Well, no. that sounded like very dismissive of it. Please allow me a moment. Um, <laughs> it was a great documentary. It was, 
I think David Attenborough voiced it, which uh, maybe not. I don't know. I, I don't remember because I was a kid. But it was six six or seven parts, and it was the coolest, at that time at least, the coolest, most real-looking dinosaurs and stuff. And it was just, I don't know, for a kid, that was the real deal. I mean, because it was not like Land Report time, like animated stuff. Like, it was the closer to the live-action stuff. Oh, yeah. And, man, I, we had that on uh, – uh, VHR and it was great yep. it was just great and I remember Stegosaurus was a great dinosaur but from my Brontosaurus from my young period of time though I would have never comprehended how much time would have elapsed yep. between those well that's never. the thing as a kid, I thought they were all there together well, that, well that's the thing and that's well see and that's where that's where you have to be careful with some of the teachings in schools because they kind of lump all that together and they th- they make you think they're all roaming around together. Now, 80 million years. 80, yeah. 80 million years separated uh, Stegosaurus from T-Rex. Crazy. Ryan, when do you think Nintendo was founded? The company? Yep. Uh, 80s? 1980-something? Close. I, I, 1880s. Oh man! Whoa! <laughs> Nintendo Damn. was Nintendo was founded in 1889. Okay, so so and, what uh, what did they do before they made the and, SNES or whatever? And insider uh, as insiders Jacob uh, Shamishian previously explained, Nintendo actually dates back to the late 19th century. Before becoming the gaming giant it is today, it got its start as a humble Japanese card game company. Mm. Okay. Cards before consoles. Sense. Yeah. That makes so sense. That's go. cool. I like how you said 1980s. Like, yeah. 1880s. Yeah. In the grand I, scheme of things, 100 years is not a very large yeah, amount of time. Look at those dinosaurs. Oh. <laughs> Ask them about it. Here's your geographic one that's kind of weird to think about. And you just think about the earth and where things are. Nearly the entire continent of South America is located east of Florida. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Because yeah. you, you, you kind of think about it going, you think of it going straight up and down, but no. The, nearly the entire continent of South America is located east of Florida. Yeah, I guess with the way that it bends on, you know, you're looking at the, the flat map over there. I'm right, looking the, at Tom's screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah I see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it sure is. Only, what do we got? What do we got in the west here? We got Ecuador. Got some Peru. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, without looking at, yeah, it says without looking at a map, you may think Brazil is located somewhere directly south of Florida. However, nearly the entire South American continent is east of Florida, with a few exceptions in Ecuador and Peru. Reddit users, uh, uh, they're just saying that uh, Reddit users pointed that out, but yeah, a little yeah. bit of Ecuador and Peru, but yeah, pretty much the entire the entirety of South America is east of Florida. Yeah, so that's Brazil, where my finger is for you guys. And yeah. you know what Brazil's kind of lined up with? The Titanic wreckage. <laughs> yeah. About, yeah. Because I that thing was way closer to the United States than I thought. I know that by boat, it's still another day or two, a couple days. Right. But just w- with how how planes have made everything feel so much closer, yeah. it's just only a couple hours on a plane. You know, like it's right. really not that far in the scheme of things. It was, it was more than halfway here. Yep. So seeing that Titanic wreckage uh, over there and 
what they're doing with the submersible. It's like yeah. that's it's far, but also by our 2023 terms, like it's not right. the other side of the world. Yeah. Uh, how about this one? Bananas are berries, but strawberries are not. Bananas are berries, but strawberries are not. It sounds like some like thing Please to explain. repeat in your head. Yeah. According to botanists, true berries are simple fruits that stem from a single flower with a single ovary and typically have several seeds. This includes kiwis, pomegranates, eggplants, and yes, bananas. Uh, strawberries, on the other hand, stem from a single flower with more than one ovary, which makes them aggregate fruits along with raspberries and blackberries. Wow. So, yeah. I, yeah. So, strawberries, raspberries, and blackberries are not berries. You they see, are aggregate fruits. Let's not think about that because <laughs> then we'd have to change the name, you know? Yep. What's straw fruit? <laughs> yeah. You know? Straw fruit. <laughs> I just, I don't know. They sound like berries to me because they're called that, yep. but I believe you. This one's pretty cool. Sharks predate trees. I believe that. Because I, I mean, like the entire, Give me a second. The entire world used to be covered in water, right? So. I had to be sharks before what we consider trees nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I was about to make a bad movie reference to Waterworld. Anyway, that's after the fact. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I've heard sharks are old, old. Yeah. Ancient creatures. Uh, They're as, not young. As Smithsonian Magazine reported, uh, uh, Archaeopterist, the earliest species that scientists can classify as a tree, lived about 350 million years ago. 350. All right. Sharks, however, can be traced back 50 million years earlier, appearing in the fossil record some 400 million years ago. So, so the earliest tree that was found was about Because don't they say it's the original apex predator? I, well, yeah. I mean. What, what they talk about but, with but sharks? The, 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 early, the shark community? <laughs> so the earliest species of tree that could have been found was 350 million years ago, and their sharks were 400 million years ago. Yeah, so there goes. Do you think they're going to keep hanging on for a while? Well, yeah, so yeah. Uh, absolutely. But the only thing is that that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a fact. That just means they haven't found a tree older than that. Right. They may eventually, but right now they're not. Uh, this is another interesting. This is another one of those timeline things. Yeah, we got a f- time for a few more minutes. Yeah, two or three fine. more. That's fine. Uh, Cleopatra lived closer to the release of the first iPhone than she did to the building of the pyramids of Giza. Which seems relevant for Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, mean, that was that was like biblical times when yeah. those pyramids were built. Yeah. So uh, as insiders Megan Willett explained, the pyramids of Giza were built between 2550 B.C. and 2490 B.C. by historians' estimates. About 2420, about... Yeah. Okay, yeah. About 2,421 years later, in 69 B.C., Cleopatra, the last active pharaoh of ancient Egypt, was born. She died at the age of 39 in 30 B.C. So, oh, an Apple co-founder and then CEO uh, Steve Jobs debuted the first iPhone in 2007, only 2,037 years after Cleopatra's death. So, Cleopatra was born 2,421 years yep. after the pyramids. Yep. And the iPhone came out 2,037 years after her death. So, yeah. So, Cleopatra. So, we still got a few more. Hundred, right. We got a few hundred more years well, of operating under closer Cleopatra so, space than yeah. pyramids. But, yeah. she, but she's definitely closer. Oh, this is the one that he, uh, he just met that uh, Brant mentioned. Uh, he, like, he doesn't have yeah. a name over here. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Anne Frank, Martin Luther King Jr., and Barbara Walters were all born in the same year. Uh, Anne Frank was born June 12, 1929. Martin Luther King Jr. was born on January 15, 1929. And Barbara Walters was born September 25, 1929. So there you go. There's that. 1929, big year there. Or a big day. On, <laughs> <Yeah>. Big day. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I mean, that was a big day. Yeah. That was a very historical day. And uh, Barbara just passed away last year, too. She had yeah. been alive a long time. 93 years. Oh, okay. Those three huh? It's oh. a big year. <laughs> and now my computer's wanting to act up. Come on, now. I've got, oh some, I've, got another, I've got another couple of good ones here. I need my... You still got time. You still I got another couple minutes. I need, my, need I need my computer to quit freezing up on me here. Uh... All right, here we go. Let me get scroll down to these that I saw that were really good. Yeah, two more. Two more? Oh, I got plenty of time for two more. Uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb is based on a true story. Oh, she did, in fact, have a little lamb? Mary was indeed a real person, and she did, in fact, have a little lamb. Yes, got it. Nailed it. Mary Sawyer was born in 1806, and her lamb followed her to school one day around 1816. When Mary arrived at school, she wrapped the lamb in a blanket that she placed at her feet until it made a noise, informing the teacher of its company. John Rolstein, who had just arrived in town and witnessed Mary sneaking the animal into school, so he wrote a poem about the incident and delivered it to Mary. And so there you go. Mary had a little lamb's fleece was white as snow. That was based on a true story of Mary Sawyer and her lamb. Solid. Hope hope they had a great relationship. Yep. Uh, L- President Lyndon B. Johnson conducted White House White House meetings while on the toilet. <laughs> wow. All right. The I former mean, president. That's efficiency, is what yeah, that is. Yeah. The former president actually had a telephone installed in the bathroom so he could take calls while using the restroom. He conducted meetings with aides while sitting on the toilet because of his insistence on keeping the conversation going. While the president considered his odd methods productive, many of his aides struggled to hear him speak due to the running water. Well, you know what they say, Tom. Well, yeah. Duty calls. Yeah, duty you know? calls. And, and I'm gonna, you got that job. That's right. I'm going to leave you the, with this one, All my right. last one. Albert Einstein was offered the position as president of Israel. Oh, and why was that? Is Albert Einstein... When Israel's Jewish? first president... Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, when Israel's first president, Tom Wiseman, passed away in 1952, Albert Einstein was offered the role by Ambassador Abba, uh, Abba Aban. The offer was upon the request of the Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion. Einstein would have had to relocate to Israel and accept Israel as his nationality, but would be free to pursue his scientific endeavors... He replied that due to his inexperience working with people, he isn't qualified to fulfill a role in a high office. So there you go. Yeah. Albert Einstein was almost the president of Israel. Or he could have been. Just offered that job. Yeah. Hey, you want to come be the president? Yeah, that's usually not how it works, you know. Hey, (laughs) Albert, come be our president. All right. One last one real quick. Peter the Great kept the head of his wife's lover in his bedroom. Whoa. Once Peter the Great discovered his wife Catherine's unfaithfulness to their marriage with William Mons, the ruler had the man beheaded. Beheaded, He asked that the head of William be placed in a jar with alcohol. It was required that the jar remain in Catherine's bedroom until Peter's death so that she could be constantly reminded of her affair. That's, that's intense. a heck of a way to do it. I don't want to say something that's going to get us in trouble, so I'll keep my mouth shut. Fair enough. Thank you for all that, Tom. I told you we're gonna fill our we're gonna fill our bodies with knowledge today instead of 
terrible tasting sodas. Yes, that was a that was a lot of fun. I don't know if the last thing was fun, but a lot of that it's was interesting. Fun. Though. It's wacky. It was interesting. Yes, very wacky. Oh yeah, you're you're going to be un- the, you're uh, be unfaithful to me. I'm going to chop your lover's head off and make you keep it so that it will remind you of how terrible of a person. Keeping you are. the heart in the drawer. Keeping the, Mary Shelley keeping yep. her, keeping her uh, husband's heart in her drawer. Time for a real quick nightly TV guide. Our Mommy. show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sorry, Tom. I was just saying Romans washing their mouth out with urine. Yeah. Well, yeah. Never forget. Never Uh, forget. Real quickly on the the Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer, LSU Wake Forest in the College World Series, 6 o'clock. If Wake Forest wins, they advance to play Florida in the final. LSU wins, they force a winner-take-all game tomorrow. Also got horse racing, 6 o'clock on FS1. Movie picks. Shang-Chi and the Ten Ring, 6 o'clock on FX. Marvel. Despicable Me 2, 626 on Sci-Fi. And 7 o'clock, a Stephen King movie, The Green Mile, on AMC. Great movie. Stick with the theme of the day. That will do it for the show today. Brant, thank you for being here, sir. We'll see you again, I think, next week. Thank you for having me. And, Tom, thank you, sir, for putting together that Wacky Wednesday and being here this week. We'll see you again next week. I'll be here. That will do it for the show today. As always, we appreciated all those that tuned in and called in. For Brent Daughtry and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Wednesday night. We'll talk again tomorrow.